On today's show, <laughs> live from the Sirius XM Garage in L.A., this band's got hit after hit after hit. And for the first time in the history of the show, this is one of the best, Howard welcomes three-time Grammy Award winners oh, great. and members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then they're going to break into song. How special is that? Get away now. in California. What do you have to say? Hey now, Howard. Looking forward to today, man. I am too. Mm. Red Hot Chili Peppers. The whole band. I've never had... I've had Anthony Kiedis in on his own when he wrote a book years ago. Uh, but I've never had the Red Hot Chili Peppers perform. I've never had the whole band. And uh, I'm anxious to celebrate their new album, which is getting very good reviews. You know, the whole band, the whole original band really is together now. You know, they've had people come and go. Yeah. John Fr John Frusciante uh, was in and out a couple of times, and he's with them. And nice to have them all back together again. Fred's wearing a tube sock on his dick in honor of the band. It's kind of cool. <laughs> as you know. I can he remember. fill it like a flea? <laughs> nah, no, no one can fill it like flea. Flea has got the biggest <laughs> cock. He's so lucky. When I watched, the, I remember they were with that, you know, Woodstock thing. Yeah. Woodstock 99 and uh, Flea was playing bass naked, which they're so famous for. But uh, his dick is flapping into that bass. It's like fucking, I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous of that. If I could walk around. If I, was, if I had a big dick like Flea, I would just, I would walk around naked all the time. I wouldn't even bother with clothes. I would want women. Well, uh, yeah, he, he apparently ab agrees with you. <laughs> yeah. He's so free. I want to be free. <laughs> it's not free. It's free. Yeah, I want I want to be free. I hate hiding my chili pepper name. It's even weird. Like when I get out of the shower, like yes, I got out of the shower and I my my closet area, my bathroom area is separate from Beth. And, you know, it's she's on the sort of like the other side. So I, I have privacy. And yet I cover my dick uh, <laughs> with some article of clothing in case she should walk in. I don't want her to see me flaccid, see that belly button looking dick of mine. <laughs> With my belly flopping over my, you know, it's just the, the whole thing's a mess. I don't want to turn her off. And I'm like, you know, he doesn't worry about that. You know, guys with normal dicks don't worry about that shit. What's a normal dick? Yours is normal. It works. It works. It grows. I'm, I'm you know, I hate to say I'm a grower, but I kind of am. But uh, not proportionate fact, to your massive body. In fact, uh, Beth uh, uh, was having like um female problem and she blamed me for pounding her so hard when i fucked her <laughs> and i was like i was walking around all weekend like yeah i really i'm like really kind of i mean i don't like when she doesn't feel well but <laughs> i like that she you know after i pound her she has to go to the doctor 
Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me, I'm not <laughs> turning you. <laughs> I should have. Uh, I should have Beth come down and talk about. It. I gave it to her too hard, just so I could, you know, I could be a man. Maybe it was bad technique. <laughs> no. How dare you? No. She's saying, in other words, I was so ultra masculine <laughs> when I gave it to her. How dare you? Uh, I'm a woman's dream. I mean, uh, when I go at you, I uh, give it to you too hard. <laughs> I have a weapon now. I don't, have, there you I don't go. even There's have a, a penis. between your legs. Yeah, I don't have a penis. I have a weapon that can really <laughs> can please women, but also hurt them. It's a dangerous snake <laughs> that, that lives inside my pants. Now, That's do you know when wet. you're going to do that, or is it out of your control? I guess it's out of my control, but yeah, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> my penis comes with great responsibility. Yes, everyone does. Um, do President Biden. The, do you guys remember President, the band? President Biden kind of? said my penis was a weapon of mass destruction, and that I was he like, wants Vladimir. to send it to the Ukraine. Because yeah, right. It would take care of the Russians. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry, pocket. What were you saying? Do you remember the band Crazy Town? No. They sampled, uh, they sampled one of the Chili Pepper songs, uh, Pretty Little Ditty. Okay. Remember this? Come, come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's a Chili Pepper song. They sampled that. All right. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you, Pocket. Uh, uh, Pocket, right. are we... What's going on? <laughs> yeah. What are, we, what are we talking about here? Hey, Shelly, you're on the air. Hey no. now. Hey now. Is a, is a huge fan of Taylor Hawkins. I wondered if you saw the tribute he made for him. Hey, don't worry, I'll cover this all with the band. Uh, I do. I'm very aware of what Chad did for Taylor Hawkins, and uh, has been putting a picture of Taylor on his on his drum. And uh, don't forget, don't forget, Chad played on. Hmm, my memory's failing. John, didn't Chad play drums? It's somehow Foo Fighter related. I don't remember. I, I, I my head's a little mushy right now. It's early in the morning, but yeah, I got a They're lot to all ask. Intermingled. They're all intermingled, but Taylor's had such an outpouring of love. It's just so devastating. Did Chad put Taylor's name on his bass drum? But there was some other connection. I don't know. They were all very good friends. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows everybody. But yeah, they're going to come in. They're going to do a couple of tunes, some old tunes with a new tune from the new album. And uh, we'll talk to the boys, see how they're doing. And it's going to oh. be nice. I'm looking forward Can't to wait. it. Can't yep, wait. Yep, me too. Same. Thanks so much. All right. You got to admire any band that stays together that long, especially a band with that history. Hey, John, what's up? Hey, they were good friends, Howard, and the Foo Fighters opened for Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's how they got to know one That's another. That's what it was. Ah. Yep. Yeah, there, there was a connection there. I knew it. But all the gigs he's been playing lately, he's got Taylor, a huge Taylor on his bass drum. Well, the when you look at the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you think about how long they've been around because when they, like, they first went on MTV, and I remember it was with Higher Ground. They did a cover of a Stevie Wonder song, which was unusual because... 
a bunch of white boys covering Stevie Wonder, and they rocked it out. And it was just an interesting take on that song. I remember being quite impressed with Higher Ground. And I love that song when Stevie does it. So it was kind of cool. It's a hard song to tackle. And then when they came out with... Are they really you know, all white boys? Yeah, and they're all white boys. Sure. Who do you think's black? I just asked the question. No. Who are you thinking is black? Chad? <laughs> I mean, who are you? Flea who? with that big dick. <laughs> Flea, no. Flea's whiter than, Flea's whiter than Flea's me. Flea's the whitest white person. <laughs> well, Flea's very white. What are you talking about? Anyway, uh, then after they big put that out. Energy. Well, I know, Robin. But after Robin hears big dick, she thinks the guy's black. So, big uh, dick energy. So then Blood Sex Sugar Magic came out and I remember there were so many hits off of that but if you think about it when they came out with that they were touring with Nirvana and and Pearl Jam uh Pearl Jam uh came out with 10 Nirvana came out with Nevermind right and uh the three of them were touring together that must have been one eh, I'm going to ask the boys about that I don't want to talk too much about Red Hot Chili Peppers right now and you know about the Chris Rock connection. I wonder if they're, you're going to ask about that. I'm going to ask about that. Chris Rock yeah. inducted them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I know everything about the Chili Peppers, Robin. You don't have to worry. I got this covered. I'm a fucking student of rock. I'm Casey Kasem Jr. Sure. Just you insult me. I wanted to make sure. How you can you imagine? Me. You insult Pearl, me. Pearl Jam opened, Nirvana middled, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers closed. And early in that tour, Smashing Pumpkins was opening. It's just... A crazy amount. I'll of give you a piece of trivia about the Red Hot Chili Peppers that no one knows. Well, people probably know if you're a real fan. Flea is a is a masterful musician. Flea was originally a, a trumpet player, and he. Um, I won't go into the whole story why he started playing the bass. But when he plays the bass, he plays it so hard. Billy Corgan was watching the Red Hot Chili Peppers play, and he's looking at Flea, and you know how Flea attacks the guitar. He said after the he noticed in the performance that Flea actually drilled a hole in his thumb by the guitar string hitting it so hard he got a hole in his thumb. And Billy Corgan said they would put like glue in his thumb after the performance to just put his thumb back together again. That's this fucking guy's committed. No bullshit. And he would play again the next night with the you know absolutely. That's oh. right, Robin. I'll be talking to these boys. That's why I'm saying, wait till they come in. What, what am I? Uh, what am I doing here? Hey, Mike, what's up? Yeah, Howard. Hey, um, hey. Uh, Robin. I want to know for sure, um, especially when they were younger. Did you ever? Did you ever masturbate to either Anthony Kiedis or Flea when they were walking around with their cocks cocked out all the time? Uh, there's there's evidence that I had a crush on Anthony Kiedis. So if you had to have sex with Flea or Anthony Kiedis, who would you go with, Anthony? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm surprised Flea's never been on the show. He's a great fucking just character in life, just a human being. Uh, well, I always wanted Flea. Flea uh, wrote a book. Yeah, all right, yeah. Robin. Uh, not now. Be professional. <laughs> See, there's the evidence. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, Anthony. Mm. Anthony. Oh, yes. oh. Yeah, right. Right there, Robin. Oh. That's the G spot. G spot. Oh. <laughs> I can't hear you over the buzz of your vibrator. All right, all right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow, that was yeah, a heavy exactly. Power. 
Multiple, yeah, well, multiple, yes. Multiple. multiple. There is no yeah, she cheese fight. <laughs> She's got a UTI. Hey, no, 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 I've got to ask you, who are you in charge of uh, giving the final say to any of the, um, the Stern anthologies get played? Because a couple weeks ago, almost every segment was about Robin having sex, Robin masturbating, Robin dreaming That's about right. masturbating. It was a fucking hot week. I was really, like, turned on. All Here's a story all. about Robin you don't know. Robin used to go at her vibrator so hard, she drilled a hole in her thumb. <laughs> and uh, we used to crazy glue her before every show. You got two vaginas. That's right. There she goes. Easy. Easy. Easy, Robin. Oh. Okay, so uh, there's your answer, Mike. How do you like that? Um, What else? Oh, Jesus. Let's go to Tim. Uh, I'll take a couple of more calls, and then i got a bunch of things to tell you. Ben, uh, Tim wants to talk about Benji. I'm glad you're bringing up this topic. You know, go I ahead, thought Tim. about Benji, and I felt bad about yesterday. Well, let me uh, hear what Tim has to say, and I'm curious what you have to say, Robin. Yes, Tim? Yes. Uh, when are you going to fire Benji? <laughs> well, you know, Robin, I, mean, I want to say something in Benji's defense. You know, I do love Benji. Benji's been working for me for a long time. And he's a funny guy. And Benji will get shit. And, you know, yesterday, as Robin points out, she felt bad. Because, you know, the cum hat, Benji was a team player. I see, I gave the wrong impression. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come clean a little bit here. One of the reasons the cum hat bit was ruined for me wasn't had really had nothing to do with Benji. It had to do with the fact that so many people got involved in this bit. That it came down that Richard, that to me, the funny punchline was once everybody came on the hat, Richard was going to wear the hat. And then we were told, and rightly so, I'm not blaming Sirius XM. They said, look, if Richard's going to wear the cum hat, there are health concerns. So he has to wear a rubber type of uh, protection on his head when he puts the hat on. When I heard that, I went, you know, what's the point That's of Sal? Kind of put a damper on it, as they say, yes. Well, yeah, so to speak. It put a damper on the cum hat bit. That The idea was Richard had to wear the hat for the day with all the cum all over it, and that would have been funny. But if he was wearing a protective skull cap, it's He's like... not eh, wearing the hat, yeah. Right, you know, it's like if jackass, they threw somebody in with some bees, but let him wear a beekeeping, uh, beekeeper's outfit. You know what I mean? They, 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 yeah, the where's the thrill? Sting him. Where's yeah. the thrill? The thrill of the bit was everyone was coming on Richard's Kansas City Chiefs hat. And uh, after they came on it, Richard had to walk around wearing it, and he would be disgusted and throw up probably. So when Benji got it and dropped small loads, really, I was already kind of souring on the bit like i felt okay what's the point anymore so yeah but got a bird? the souring on the bit thing he has done this throughout his entire career with you it's like it's got to be treated like a little kid where he's always got to do something to be special or be unique and he's not gonna right. do everything well, i understand else I, I understand i under benji how did like, your uh, visit great bit, in my opinion I agree, but it wasn't all Benji's fault. That's all I'm saying, and I think I suspect that's why Robin feels bad. When he started doing the, oh, I don't know this, and I didn't know that, and I didn't do this. I, didn't I know. know. I it's annoying. Like, it's annoying. He, he is good at his job, in, in his defense. He is a, He can be a very annoying. I well, Listen, I'm I not kidding. Well, uh, the reason I felt bad was that, well, I don't know what this guy's saying. You know, right, that, go ahead. But the reason uh, you felt bad. 
because Benji was really expressing that, you know, he's struggling with something. And, uh, uh he's what? fine. He's, he's fine. fine. <laughs> he's a I don't know that he's fine. Benji, how'd it go with the psychiatrist yesterday? Are you cured? You went to the new psychiatrist. His last psychiatrist <coughs> dumped him. Benji, how'd it go? Did you get some help? Are you all cured? What's going on? Is this guy yeah, going to work the, out? Uh, he said the load was fine. Right. So, all right. um, Thank you. Good. All right. That's a good update. All right. Thank okay. you for the update. All right. Benji. All right. Oh, seriously, what happened? But you I'm went? sorry I wasn't sympathetic yesterday, Benji. I, oh, I that's understand. okay. But thanks. Thanks, Rob. Um, it, it was good. He, it was weird going, I mean, you've gone to a psychiatrist, uh, a, ma- a male psychiatrist for years. And I had, I, I had never really done that. Like, so that part was a little bit weird. Um, but he, he I don't know. All right. Seen, All right. That's seen... a good update. All right. Thank you. So Benji went to a, a male uh, psychiatrist, but, but let, let us know that I go to one. Okay. There you go. What? I just asked you, how'd it go? Well, you, 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 you just answer the question. I cried throughout it. Benji. Okay. That's good. That, that uh, felt, <laughs> that felt good afterwards. Um, right. it's so hard to tell on a first session. Like, is this person really, I mean, he seems strong. He seems, he seems smart. Uh, all right. So in other words, you don't have an opinion yet. You're feeling out the situation. Am I correct? I, uh, yes, I'm going to go to okay, him again. Good. All right. And why did you what cry? What was he crying the- about? I mean, you just sat um, down and started crying. Well, can I say something here? I mean, I, Benji doesn't have to spell it out. He's a 55-year-old man living alone in New York City. I can't imagine he wouldn't cry. You mean, oh, there's real things to cry about. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's pretty evident. Uh, he, he has a hard time making it's connections. It's amazing with, he's not crying right now. He has a hard time making connections with people. He's got a small load. I mean, he's no. got he's got issues. Uh, um. That's not my age, but yes, I, I am starting to feel, uh, you know, like I really want to get married. I started, you know, thinking about having a kid and I was talking to him about that. Come on, Robin, be a little sympathetic. I know. I'm not being the person I want to be again. Yeah, let the guy talk. Go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, I talked about all that stuff about mortality, about, uh, you know, all right. that kind of I got stuff. It. Okay. All right. Good. I'm glad it worked out. And let's hope it, yeah. it gets better. All right. Thank you, Benji. Thank you. Go for it, Benji. Have Go your life. It. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Nothing said about his life. He's going to be fine. What? There you go. <laughs> Nothing said about Benji's life. He's going to be fine. <laughs> I thought you said that. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> anyway, I want people to know it really wasn't Benji who killed the come hat bit. It was more. Just sort of all the rules and regulations and I don't want Yeah, to even I was thinking, oh, how can we cover Richard's head yeah, and still and have it be funny it. and all that? Mm-hmm. And when I got through, I was like, in in the long run, he's going to wind up with a shower cap on his head. Right. And that's not funny. So yeah. I kind of soured on it. And then, well, in any case, you know, I'm glad Benji's talking to this psychiatrist. I know he was having some problems and, uh, I know he was thinking maybe getting married, having a kid, and I didn't want to say anything, but with that tiny load. So far, there's gonna... no person though, right? There's well, nobody no, no to person. Do that and, with. 
And with that tiny load, how's he going to get her pregnant? You know, you got to have a. Oh, maybe he'll <laughs> save them up for her. Right, right. <laughs> save that, them yeah. for us. <laughs> right. Yeah, people were. Uh, some people. Uh, here's Sandra. She says, "Yeah, you were being really hard on Benji, Robin. You can get really vicious." Go ahead, Sandra. You're on the air. Hi, this is Sandra. First time, long time. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm on the air. Um, yeah, I just thought you can't compare everyone's depression to be the same, no matter what right. experiences you've been through. Because if you look at Anthony Bourdain, if you look at Robin Williams, they had perfect lives if we look at it from the outside, and they killed True. themselves. So That's I think right. you can't diminish someone's experience. Exactly how I felt afterwards. You're absolutely yeah, Robin. right. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, Keep yelling at Robin. Apologize. No, I'm not she yelling apologized. at her. I just she apologized. Uh, yell at her. Yell at her. No, yell I deserve her. it. I deserve to be yelled at. I can't yell at her. I'm not a yelling person. All right. Thank you, Sandra. Very good. Yeah, here's a whole bunch of fan mail about the cum hat. A lot of people were disappointed with Benji. I told We told you not to put Benji in the bed. He ruined it. But the truth be told, I have to come clean. Richard putting the hat on with a skull cap made out of some safe material kind of ruined it for me. And so I, you know, I just kind of lost interest in it. And uh, many fans sent um, emails to Benji with sympathy saying, I hope you feel better, Benji. Anyway, the come hat bit was, uh, it was fun while it lasted. We had a good time with it. Watching Sal drop loads on Richard's hat was great. And, uh, yeah, listen, totally destroying it. the hat was great. <laughs> exactly. That's it. We had our fun. And, uh, we did have another come hat song. I, I mean, I don't know if I need to play it now. I don't even know where it is. Come hat song. Here it is. Too bad we had about five cum hat songs, but uh, now now they seem silly to play because we're done. With They're going to jizz on it. La, 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 cum hat. Uh. La, 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 cum hat. We're shooting a semen on Richard Sombrero. It's a little early in the morning for that one. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people love Rooster and John Hine talking about fast food establishments. Could we please make a John Hine and Rooster podcast happen? You can call it Overfed Table Talk. Well, I mean, we wouldn't have a podcast. We'd have a serious XM show if we wanted. Yeah, to. I mean, I don't know what the difference is between a podcast and a serious show anymore. I don't know what's going on with broadcasting. Well, the difference is uh, one you get to hear and the other one, it's you got to go searching for it somewhere. I see. Rooster when you know gift. where to find it and when you don't. Right. <laughs> Rooster is the gift that keeps on giving. However, he's dead wrong about Krispy Kreme. I love it. More Rooster. He's a gem. Don Hine is so wrong. Krispy Kreme is a disgusting pile of sugary mess. And uh, what else? Poor do we Krispy have? Kreme. They were just bystanders. <laughs> yeah, they got hit hard. They're getting hit. <laughs> Jeff, the, Jeff, the vomit guy, uh, took a big hit. He, uh, of course, defended Russia and Vladimir Putin so that he could get a woman to throw up on him. Jeff, the vomit guy, came off so desperate on Monday. What a loser. I hope he never gets vomited on again. Jeff puts on his own weird fetish over his country. What a disgrace. He should be tried for treason. Fuck Jeff, the vomit guy, that disgusting piece of shit. Send his bitch ass to Russia and Putin can vomit on him. Uh, the rest of the whack pack was really offended that uh, Jeff the Vomit Guy chose uh, defending Putin in Russia. Do they want him out of the whack pack? 
Well, they they wanted uh, they re- they got together, recorded a song to express their dislike of Russian President President Vladimir Putin. They want everyone to know that the WAC pack stands firmly against solidly Putin. against Russia. Yes, the Russia is a bunch of scumbags. Uh, uh, as you know, I feel Putin is the biggest danger to this planet right now. Uh, I'm disgusted with what he's doing. He is a war criminal. There's no question. Our president called him a war criminal. Our president was right, even though he received criticism, because that's what people do now. They don't even come together in times of war. But Biden was 100% right. And the WAC pack agrees. And they wrote this song so that lest you think that any of them agree with the idea that Putin's a good guy. Uh, here they are singing. Fuck you, Putin. Uh, this is high pitch, Eric. I should introduce the players. Wendy, yeah. the slow adult, uh, Bigfoot, Mark the Bagger, Tan Mom, Marion from Brooklyn, and uh, Jeff the Vomit guy is on this. So I guess he's, uh, oh he's my changed goodness. Yes. <laughs> I don't even know how he got, but all right, he's in there. Here we go. Fuck you, Putin. You're a fucking asshole. Here's the Whack Pack song for you. I don't like Vladimir Putin. Fucking dick, man. I don't like Vladimir Putin. He act like a little bitch. I don't like Vladimir Putin. You lose that. I don't like Vladimir Putin. You little fucking twerky little fucking bitch. We hate you, Putin. You're a bad, bad guy. We hate you, Putin. When will you die? I don't like Vladimir Putin. He's not nice. I don't like Vladimir Putin. I don't have the foggiest idea who he is. I don't like Vladimir Putin. Uh, he's angry. I don't like Vladimir Putin. Cause you are nothing but a piece of shit. Yeah, you a piece of shit. Yeah. We You could go to hell for all I care, bitch. Putin, I'd like to put a knife through your eyes so you will die. Hey, now. There you go. <laughs> now, imagine if uh, this stopped the war. Putin hears this and he goes, oh, my God, I lost the whack pack. I've lost everything. Well, I was going to say, are we making sure we get this to him? Yes, we are. <laughs> by the way, I want to thank some people. That was, of course, produced by Quincy Jones. Uh Got all the whack pack together for yeah, like a we are the world kind of a performance. Exactly, it's like we are the world recorded at Chernobyl. Like we're, we're <laughs> people just morphed into weird things. Uh, but uh, the whack pack wanted me to tell you they're pushing for regime change. That's how they feel. And um, oh, they can and, say these things. The president can't say these things. That's right. And we're also told that uh, the people of Ukraine are dancing to this in their clubs. That whatever. Club this is their new in. favorite song. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. That song was not in time for the Grammys. So there you go. Next year, hopefully. All right. So that's some of the mail that people. Uh, Sent in. There's a couple of things I wanted to say about the Grammys. We um, we talked about it yesterday, and then um, we were also still talking about uh, the the Academy Awards, Will Smith, Chris Rock. But there were a couple of things that happened that I thought were funny at the Oscars besides Will Smith and Chris Rock. Uh, those guys overshadowed everything that happened that night. But um, there was a piece of tape I wanted to share with you that I think is funny. 
This is, you know, when Kanye West was dating this actress, Julia Fox, for, you know, he's upset that his wife is no longer with him. And remember, if you remember, there was a, a mystery woman that he was dating with Julia Fox. She's some sort of actress. She was the or mystery something. woman? Yes. Uh, this is an interview with her, the mystery woman. This is uh, the Oscars after party red carpet. Julia Fox talked about a book she's writing. And she reminds me of uh, Steven Seagal. She uh, she said her book is a masterpiece. You know, when oh. Steven Seagal, there's a famous story about Steven Seagal. He was in his trailer and he walked out and he said to somebody, I just read the greatest script of all time. And the person said, oh, uh, who wrote it? He goes, I did. <laughs> me. <laughs> me. I wrote it. <laughs> Here's Julia Fox pulling the same thing. You really want to do that's her dream project? Oh my god, my book, of course. Tell me, like, yeah. Tell me about the book. Well, I don't want to give too much of it yeah, away because I I'm very superstitious, superstitious. So I don't I don't like to speak of things before they're finished. Mm. Um, but it's um, so far a masterpiece, if I do say so myself. So I hope that is it fiction is it a memoir? What is no, it? it's um, you know, it was going. It was like a memoir at first, but now it's just like my first book you know okay so yeah that'll be coming out soon there you go the other thing evidently she's known for besides dating kanye west she is known she had a role in the movie uncut gems which was an adam sandler movie remember uncut gems okay and uh, oh yes that's the one this, where he's in the, the jewelry business yes, yeah the yes. diamond district love that um, movie and they were interviewing her about her role in Uncut Gems, and she said Uncut Gems in a very weird way. Like, she's got a bit of vocal fry going, so she she said, like, Uncut Gems. Well, here, she'll do it. Here, I have the tape. This is good. Would you consider yourself Ye's muse? Yeah, a little. Maybe. What is a muse? I mean, I was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote Uncut Gems. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, things like right. that. Uncut Jobs. <laughs> uh, here's a note. Rob Schneider told the Stephen Seagal story. That was right. That's right. Rob was on the show and he told that. <laughs> anyway, uh, I like that. Uncut Jams. Jams. I don't believe Kanye West is still with her. I think he's moved on. No, they broke up um, shortly after everybody found out who the mystery woman was she was by the way in addition to red hot chili peppers i also will have an exclusive interview with kim kardashian today and her boyfriend pete, pete davidson. davidson yes that's right wow that's right. star-studded show yeah i wonder if they're so yet. funny you know like i mean you've been to staten island it's not the greatest place to go you used to and live there. he loves taking these famous girlfriends back to Staten Island to meet his family. Well, I think it's a bit of a I test to that. see if they can, you know, roll with the the, the regular Who people he of really Staten is. Island. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Pete and Kim are joining us to give us the inside scoop on their successful relationship. A lot of people didn't think it would work, but it seems to be doing very well. And I want to thank Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian for giving me a few uh, minutes i do want hi you guys hello hey what's hey. Up? <laughs> hey how you doing uh pete first of all good to have you on the show thanks for joining us 
Uh, no. Yeah. And uh, no, Kim? Yeah, no. Hey, Kim, yeah. And Kim, thank you, too. And thanks for getting up early. I know you guys are... Uh, let me just remind people, the, mm -hmm. Kim and Pete were on Saturday Night Live together when Kim Kardashian hosted. And they shared a kiss. Very sweet story. Uh, mm -hmm. He was playing Aladdin and uh, she, Princess Jasmine, and the rest is history. Is that right, Pete? Yeah. Yeah, no, that was, that was dope. Yeah, it was truly magical, Howard. Mm. Well, yeah. Pete, uh, Pete, if I may, you don't seem like the kind of guy Kim would normally be into. She's, you know, she's more Hollywood, and you're from Staten Island, you know? Yeah, yeah, dude. And she usually dates black guys. So. <laughs> that is true. But then, you know, I heard this Peach guy was dating Ariana Grande, Kate Beckinsale, and I was like... Okay, I need to see what this is all about. <laughs> you know, well, right? Well, from what I'm, Pete, is that right? Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it sounds like, uh, th from what I'm reading again, that things are getting serious. And 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 mm. Pete, you you uh you you branded you branded your name you branded Kim's name on your chest. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to do more, like my boy Machine Gun. Like, I want to drink Kim's blood. Um, I want to mm. share an IV with her. Mm. Like, I I would remove one of my nipples for her, like, not even as a joke. Mm. Like, as a testament to our love. Like, she's my muse. She's like, oh, wow. Honestly, like, that is so romantic. Like, I, I wish I married you, you instead of Kanye. Like, I wish I had your babies, honestly. Mm. Yeah, come hot. here first. Come here. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Pete, are you guys making out? Oh my God! Pete, sorry. Howard. Excuse me. Yeah, people. People say, uh, "Pete, Kim has changed you." How do you feel about that? Uh, uh What do you think, babe? <laughs> He's still the same, Pete. Just no more gross hoodies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Now, now I'm rocking a Dolce and Gabbana jacket. Oh my know? God, so. babe! It's Dolce and Gabbana. Oh my God, Pete doesn't know a lot about brands, Howard, or like businesses. You know. Um, that's not true, babe. I helped my buddy Stank Ass Jeff sell weed for like a whole summer, and he killed it. Like, <sighs> and I'm super pumped for him to like crash with us next week in L.A. Stank ass Jeff stays in Staten Island, baby. Okay. But no, I, I, prom I, no, I told him stop he it. crash. Stop it. I told him. He, we'll, we'll discuss I told him Stank ass Jeff later. He said later. one of the okay. things. Okay. One of, let me. I don't oh, want you guys to argue. I told one of the things. Oh my God. <laughs> one of the things we were talking about is you, you guys actually spend a lot of time in Staten Island. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we go like once a month, say what up to my mom and shit. Yeah, Staten Island's like a camping trip, you know, Howard. It's fun for a day, but you wouldn't live in the woods, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and you would take a shower as soon as you get home to get the gross smells off you, right? Do, do, right? Do you, do, do you get a, along with each of us, like, like, Pete, do you get along with Kim's friends? And Kim, do you get along with Pete's friends? Have Like, have you yeah. met this stank-ass Jeff, mm. Kim? Yeah, I have. I have. He's so sweet. And I do love Pete's friends. I like the ones with the face tattoos, too. Dogfucker Derek and Super Chad. So nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's met all my boys. Um, Ice Pick Larry. Mm. Momfucker Matt. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, he didn't actually fuck his mom. Mm. Um, just like some old chick who looked exactly like her. Mm -hmm. And do, do you get along? Do you get along with Kim's family, Pete? Do I? 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's, she's like, I love all her sisters. Like, mm -hmm. the old one, the fat one, the big lips one, the skinny one, the mom one. Yeah, they're all chill. Mm. Yeah. Well, first of all, I guess in any interview with you, I like to ask all the questions. I want to address the white elephant in the room, if you will. Uh, Pete, you are known for your big dick energy. Oh, and, oh, yeah, no. I mean, oh. you don't like, babe, like... I, we don't really like to talk about my junk anymore. It's like kind of per, like pers like personal now, babe. Could you really? Say, yeah, yeah. I don't I like mean, talk. It's just it seriously grows, Howard. Ew, come on. There's so much more to Pete. Really, he's funny. I mean, not like Dave Chappelle funny, but funny. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm funny. Like I do that Kermit the Hog thing. You know that you love. What is the Kermit the Hog thing? Oh my god! Oh, it's he, awesome. Peter Michael Davidson. No, yeah, no, it's please. This, yeah, it's this thing oh. where I like take out my dick and then I make it talk like a puppet here, like the hit. Oh, Peter, put it away oh. now. Pete, this. one, two, three. Thank you, Pete. All right. <laughs> well, you two are having quite the love affair. It's exciting to see uh, for you, Kim, to see Pete on a big show like Saturday Night Live. I'm sure it's a turn on for you, right? Yeah. You know, honestly, Pete's brand, it's really bigger than SNL, Howard. You know, it's time for Pete to move on. Nobody even knows what SNL is anymore. Right, baby? I mean, I mean, I like maybe like hard for you to understand. You're not like a comedian, but like mm, it's but not I am a successful lawyer. OK, I run a billion dollar empire. You're not going to expand your brand. By staying on SNL, okay. Mm, yeah, right. But like Lauren, Lauren might be mad at me if I leave. So Lauren Michaels maybe... doesn't care about you, baby. Yeah, but like care. no, he's but he's like a you know he's a good dude. He's like started my career and stuff. Like I don't know, like I was just a kid from Staten Island. So. Lauren doesn't fuck you. I do. Wow! <laughs> wow! So what I'm gathering is that is the Pete, bottom line. <laughs> yeah, uh, Pete, uh, Kim wants you to leave Saturday Night Live. What are you going to do? Uh, oh, yeah, grow some actual balls to go with that big dick, and just call Lauren oh, right now. Pete, <sighs> okay, fine. All right, I'll call, I'll call him. him. I'll call him right now. Good, do it. I'm gonna do I it. Do, I wouldn't do that. Uh, Why? Bad, bad idea, I think. Oh, please. Come on. All right, I'll call him Just, right now. Fine. Your brand is blowing up. Call him. I will. Okay, hit dial. I the button isn't... Come on. Uh, hello, Pete. How are you? Uh, Tell uh, him. I, Go. Uh, uh, the, the call dropped, babe. It's like fucking stupid... Bad service. You stupid. say that every time, liar. Oh my what? god. What? Get your ass I'm up. Not... Okay, we're leaving. I'm sorry. All sorry, right. Howard. Robin, well, we have to get so... going now, okay? Oh. So... Oh. Sorry. All right, bye. Thank you for the exclusive interview. Yeah. It sounds like yeah. there might be some trouble in paradise. No, no. Everything is great. We really enjoyed this interview. Grab your Dolce and Gabbana jacket and your fucking Gabbana weed pipe. Let's go. <laughs> Just get. Oh, that's not even funny, babe. Okay. Hey, sorry. Hey, Howard. Oh man. I hate to see this, dude. I know it's dope. Sometimes I gotta pinch myself. You know, it's like I'm with fucking Kim K. It's fucking awesome. All right, you say so. But listen, man, maybe come on one sometime by yourself without her. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that would be sick. Yeah, that's not happening. 
<laughs> sounds like the sounds like the Staten Island honeymoon is over, honey. I can, babe. I can go on the show solo, like whenever I want to. I don't like need your like permission. Can just I just roll it, your no. dick up and get in the car? Come on! Wow! Like his mom. Stop! Oh my! People are right, bye, you guys. slow. Bye. bye. All right. There you go. Exclusive interview: Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian. Hope those two kids can work it out. <laughs> I like how Lorne Michaels just answers his phone like, hi, you know. Like hi, Pete. Yeah, hi, Pete. <laughs> so, so thank God because we were on the air. It would have been a very, very long wait. Well, I think Pete didn't uh, want him to answer. Right. That was pretty good. There you go. What else did I want to tell you? Well, yeah, so you that know, was the, the thing that was interesting to me about uh, the Grammys was that Kanye Yay was asked not to show up. That's right. Even though he that's won right. an award because of uh, his antics on social media. Apparently, he was, he was saying some not-so-nice things about Trevor Noah, and he had already said some not-so-nice things about Pete. Right. They were probably afraid he'd pull a Will Smith. Could have been. Maybe I, I Who knows? Can't. But they yeah. said, please don't come. And now he's dropped out of Coachella. Like, he's, his career is, is like going in the weirdest way. Right. Well, somebody ought to talk to him about his brand. Somebody said at the Grammys that uh, it was very upsetting that Bruno Mars got his award and then stood up and smoked a cigarette while he was getting his award. And they were saying they oh. found that to be very shocking. Because who was uh, shocked not, by that? I don't know. People were saying it. I read articles, and I was you like, know, people I, love to be shocked. I guess. Well, first of all, from a practical standpoint, there are fire laws you, indoors. You cannot uh, light up a uh, anything. You can't light a match. Right, but we still know people smoke. I don't know. People were upset about it. Can I tell you? Well, that's people the get same upset as about bleeping everything. all those songs because people are saying curse words that people say every day in their home. I actually watched on TV this uh, Derek and Julia Huff spe oh, you, TV special. Oh, you went back and watched your the special yeah. you missed? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to see it. I don't know why. I, I was like, I was like... I needed to see Derek Huff and Julia Huff. I think her name's Julie or Julia. And they they had a TV special. I think it's Julie, I, isn't it? Julie Huff. Julie Huff. They're, those are the two people that dance on Dancing with the Stars and their brother and sister. It's Julianne. It's Julianne, Julianne. okay. Oh, none of us know. <laughs> Who knew? I don't know. Hit him with the there's something about her I like to watch. I like when she's almost nude and she's dancing. And I always think dancing's funny. Like, the idea that people listen to music and then they want to jump up and down and move around to it. And then some people choose that as a profession to, like, actually, they wait for someone to write a song, right? And then when they hear the song, they get so moved about it, they start, like, like they're like a jumping bean. They just start to <laughs> run around and and like jump up and down and and they and 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 some people go into it professionally, and got paid like a lot of money to move around to somebody else's song, 
and it's I love the people who tell other people how to move around to people's songs. Yeah, you know, and there's, there's a, a whole guy other or a girl that's absolutely saying, "No, you two do this." Yeah, <laughs> at the same time, and it'll it'll yeah. be synchronized. Yeah, what? And then two, sometimes three, four. Yeah, <laughs> and sometimes the choreographer who that is a that's an even weirder profession. You're like, no, 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 you guys have to move this way to the song. Yeah. The whole thing is just a weird thing. Dancing is weird. It's like. What do you mean you're going to take a song and interpret it? And then, like you say, you're going to get to a level where someone else is going to tell you what to do. <laughs> and these people, like, they, it's weird. I, I don't know. I'm just fascinated by it. And and then the brother and sister dance together. And sometimes it looks kind of sexual. And you're like, but they're brother and sister. The whole thing is just weird to me. Yeah, but some I, of I those can't... dances, you're actually supposed to be sort of making love right? right like that paso doble and the right. whatever else there yeah yeah it's like it's it's just weird so i i said to john hine who always tracks the rating for some reason john hine knows every rating that's out there and i said that tv special with Derek huff and his sister could not have done well there's just no way and then he wrote me and he said their lead-in was american idol that gets a 5.2 rating Mm -hmm. Which I believe means like 5 million people watch American Idol, which shows you how bad television is hurting yeah, it's now. it's terrible days. now. Like the number one show is 5 million people. Like that's kind of lame. You know what I mean? Like when you consider that like Camilla Cabello has 61 million followers on her Instagram at Camilla any given time. Cabello. <laughs> that's her name. Camilla Cabello. What are you talking about? That's not her name. I don't know, but it sounds like a weird pronunciation. Camilla, Camilla Cabello, I was looking at her in a bikini. Uh -huh. She was in Florida and the paparazzi were taking pictures of her in a bikini. And I went, Jesus, they're really interested in seeing her in a bikini. Like, they're just not leaving her alone. I mean, how popular is she? So I went on Instagram and I looked and it was like, I think it said 61 million followers. And I went, holy mackerel, like 61 million followers. I know. In my radio career, when they used to measure the ratings, there was a time where we had 25 million followers, which was mind-blowing. 25 million people listening to the show at any given time. And that was insane. But 61 million people. Yeah, even during the heydays of television. You know, I think Seinfeld was number one with, you know, and he had 18 to 20 million right. people. So watching. it's pretty... Yeah, it's mind-blowing. She's more popular than some... What is it, John? I just want to clarify something, Howard. So the number one show that night that the special was on was 60 Minutes. It drew a little under 10 million. Right. Idol, as you said, got about 5.2 million. Right. And then their special came on next and got a little over 3 million viewers, which by today's standards is not awful. It finished second behind The Equalizer, which did a little bit better. So, in other words, you know, you're saying it's considered the, the Derek Huff, Julia, and special was three and a half million people watched it, and it's considered a success. It's not a, a hit, but it's not a, a, a miss either. It, just, it held right. the audience for that time slot. Sunday night, I mean, it's, it's, it's not great. It's a, but so it's so it, much. It's not embarrassing that they had three and a half million viewers. Correct. What you're saying, and they'll probably get a shot at another special. 
Yes, it seems like right. so some executive is, call them and say, "You guys, start working on your next one." <laughs> well, this was step. I would into um, the movies. So who knows what the next step into is going to be? I see. I would. I if I could produce the next Derek Huff and Julia Ann special, I would. I don't want to see her dancing with her brother, but more than once. I would like to see her da- That's dancing. The build with, up. <laughs> I would like to see her dancing with different guys. And almost nude, like just barely have clothes on because she's got a, a rocking body. And that's what I'm tuning in for. I don't give a fuck if she's hopping around to another song. She could just stand still and, and just wear different outfits. Yeah, people are trying too hard with Howard. Just take off your clothes. <laughs> well, you want to know something? I'm on social media. I, I look at Instagram a lot and I just hit the search button. And it's a lot of women, young women, like in their 20s. They snap their fingers and different outfits come on and they're almost <laughs> naked. And it's like, you know, models, but also some regular chicks, too. And and I like it. I, I watch it all the time. I, I do enjoy it. I don't know what what I'm doing. I'm wasting a lot of you're time. You're looking my life. at people's bodies. That's what you're yeah. doing. What are you doing? And I enjoy it. <laughs> I love it. And no one's dancing. That's why I said Julianne is working too hard. She just yeah. needs to take off her clothes, snap her fingers, and be in another outfit. Dancing's such a funny career. Your brother could stay home for Howard's uh, money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's a weirdo, that guy. It's like dancing, singing in the rain he was doing. You know, who's being Fred Astaire. Right. You know, it's almost, when I was watching that special, I was like, Jesus Christ. And the Grammys, too, for... It's almost like I've stepped into the 1950s Eisenhower years. When I was watching the Grammys, aside from the few people who were really good, the real singers, Brandy Carlisle, Chris Stapleton, Billie Eilish, I have to tell you, it's like some of that music, like those, um, the kids from Korea, and it's like I never thought, it's like so safe. It's so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, um, it's, it's benign. It's, 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 a, it's, it's music that's inoffensive. It's like I was watching, uh, what was I watching? I was watching Kelly Ripper and Ryan Seacrest after the Oscars. And they did the whole show without commenting on the slap. And I went, well, how do you what? do a whole they show? They talked yeah. about the Oscars and they didn't talk about the slap? No. Wow. It's it's the most um, adenine, adenine type of... Tel- Is that a word? Yeah. <laughs> what? Adenine, I don't think is a word. Not adenine, it's... Uh, it's uh, Asinine is a word. No, no, no. Ad- adenine is inoffensive. Look it up. <laughs> it's a uh, anodyne, rather. I'm trying to I'm trying to think. Yeah, the word I'm looking for is anodyne. Anodyne okay. means in anodyne means inoffensive, or it's just very safe. Mundane. Mundane. An- anodyne. You've never heard that word before. No, that's a new one on me. I'm just trying to be smart. I I read that word Has two days ago. Has somebody been reading the nah. <laughs> I read I read a book the other day and it had the word anodyne, and I went, I said, "There's a word I got to incorporate into the show to seem smart." 
<laughs> and the way I remember it is it's like anal time. You know? <laughs> or iodine. Or like asinine. But anyway, like I was watching, like I watched some shows. And okay, I mean, you know, not to take anything away from anybody and what they enjoy. But when I watch the Grammys... I sit there and I go, like, how did this happen to music? I remember my generation was the Woodstock generation. We were listening to this very cool kind of music. Uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, David Bowie, T-Rex, the Beatles, the Stones. I mean, it was just a a monstrous eruption of talent. And then I tune into the Grammys and they're heaping awards on people who, you know, really, they're not great musicians. Their music is vanilla. It's anodyne. It's manufactured. It's sanitized. And Well, that's what, you know, I'm always hearing about everybody, you know, everything being sanitized for the American mm, market. Yeah. And I guess it's happening. It's true. Well, this Derek Huff and Julie, like, I'm like, this is like a throwback to like, you know, my parents used to watch like Sid Charisse and Ann Miller yeah. and they would dance around on the stage in their stockings. And and I'm like, well, how do we get back to that? Like you would like, like you should have heard the dial. I wish I had the dialogue. I wish J.D. had pulled the dialogue between Derek Huff and his sister. Woo! You know what I mean? It, they actually spoke. They didn't just yeah, dance. <laughs> well, they talk between songs because, I mean, you just can't, you know, you can't take like I watch them dance. I watch to see what she's wearing. If it's a shitty outfit, I fast forward. You know, they did this whole number singing in the rain and he's got the umbrella. And they, you know, and she's but she's like wearing almost like a raincoat. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> A well, raincoat. They did in the movie. Somebody, yeah. Well, I think Debbie Reynolds had a was wearing a raincoat. Maybe you would have won your time slot if you fucking took off the raincoat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like watching her going. She's going to take off that raincoat, and she didn't. She didn't. She didn't take it she off. Kept true to it, huh? Yeah. Like I really wanted to hear Ryan and Kelly talk. Like it had happened. The big slap, Chris Rock, and like they just were like, "Oh, something happened." Yes, it did. Like we're children. Right. Well, they don't want to offend anyone. I get it. Well, the, the, that's what you do with children. You make sure that you don't right. bring up nice. anything that uh, is upsetting. Right. Right. Yeah, they did Singing in the Rain. Then they w went into a dance number about Moulin Rouge. And then <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. Oh, no, did she didn't get to wear any good outfits. <laughs> well, they got to dirty dancing, but the outfit wasn't even that good. <laughs> Saturday Night Fever. I didn't know Fever. they were basing it on movies. I, mean, I know yeah. what they wore in each of these scenes. Well, they should have done a porno movie. <laughs> Dance to that. How's that Where's for a theme? Nights? <laughs> right. Big dick energy. But, uh, yeah, so I was like, man... How could this even do well? I got to be the only person watching this, but there were three million other nutnecks watching this thing, enough to put it at number two. Do you want to meet those people? Like, who else yeah. is watching? This? I'm thinking of doing a live show where we just go and talk to people who watch that. 
I'd like to meet them. I wonder, I would like to meet the people who watched Eric Huff <laughs> and Julianne Huff dancing and find out, like, really, why did you watch? Did you watch to wait to see her in a good outfit like me? Or are you really uh, just like, are you into really dancing? Yeah. Like, and, and think about what you're into. They played somebody <laughs> else's song and those two w- walked around on stage to it. It's crazy, isn't it? That that's a form of entertainment. Anyway, there's one other thing I think is so great that I wanted to play you. It's this guy. Uh, do you watch Euphoria on Sunday nights? No. On HBO? I, I love that show. I, I don't know why. I just do. It's a bunch of kids fucking up and doing drugs and shit. And Yeah, I'm not into know. that. <laughs> I'm a big Zendaya fan and I'm a big Hunter Schaefer fan. Okay. But Every time I, I, I like see Hunter Schaefer. People running around being miserable. I like that. I, I relate to it. And <laughs> I like watching kids. I like Zendaya. And I like um, Hunter yeah, Schaefer. You know, she's miserable. Hunter Schaefer used to be, uh, was born a boy and now he's a woman. And like, uh, I like him. What can I tell you? Her. I like her. She's uh, very intriguing to me. I mean, I'm like, every time I watch her, I say to my wife, can't believe she used to be a he. Just I, I, I watched the show mostly for just to look at her. So I like well, it. I wish they put. That's odd. You know, like, I love you're that. You're not letting I her be it. her. You keep reminding yourself she used to be a he. Yeah, yeah, I'm odd. I didn't say I wasn't odd. What do you want from oh, okay. me? <laughs> just, I just want to point it out. <laughs> I go. I go. She's got a damn good body. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then I like oh, to my. sometimes watch her and say, hmm. I mean, every I don't know. She's just, she's, it's just, but there's this dude on there. This guy, um, is a drug dealer, a guy who plays a drug dealer and he's very good at it. He's a very good actor. He could uh, actually be a drug dealer. He's so good. <laughs> well, he was, uh, he was on the red carpet. This guy it was the greatest red carpet interview I've ever seen. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know who the interviewer is. I can't what tell you who the interviewer is. What was special about his red carpet interview? It was very real. He, he evidently he's not acting in that show. He's exactly <laughs> like his character. You know, he he got they to met hear that guy, guy and said, "We got to put a show around him." Right. He plays a drug dealer on on Euphoria on HBO, and uh, it turns out the dude isn't acting. I mean, he's acting, but he, it's very similar to who he is in real life. Where the fuck is the clip now? I got to find it. That's the problem. I did a good setup and I don't know where the clip is. I got 57,000 oh. fucking <laughs> clips here. Oh, You're always you guys screaming named... when other people don't get the cue. <laughs> well, this is uh, Angus. His name is Angus Cloud, which is kind of an interesting name. Angus Cloud. Could that be his real name? Angus Cloud? No. I don't know. I don't know any clouds. So here they are interviewing him and, and it, it almost, it's, the reason it's so great is not only is he so fucking real, it almost makes the interviewer feel like, gee, my questions are really idiotic. Like he gives the, I think he's giving the appropriate answers. Here it is. What do you tell the fans who had such incredibly emotional, strong reactions to the finale? Um, I'll tell him, uh, that's what's up, you know what I'm saying? What was your reaction when you first read the script? I mean, what, what part of the script? The, the final episode. Oh, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was kind of tripping. I'm like, oh, 
Yeah, that's that's wild. Where do you hope the show goes from here? Uh, I hope it keeps going up. Has it been all been emotional for you? Yeah. Yeah. How? how tell me. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, you look awesome. Go have fun tonight. Anybody you're excited to see? Uh, everybody. I'm excited to see everybody. I love everybody. You feel me? So. <laughs> and what's next for you? Shit. I don't know. Take some pictures and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Spicoli. He's awesome. He might be my favorite actor right now. <laughs> what did you uh, like about the script? Uh... Well, I read the script. Yes, what did you read? I read uh, that I'm going to say some of these things they got written on this piece of paper. Uh, what did you think when you read the script? Uh, what uh, part is what he said? <laughs> and I think that's a great answer. He's like, well, what did I think when I read the script? I was lucky to be acting. Listen to me. <laughs> well, what would did you, you like think? to see happen in the show next? What did you think of the script? Uh, it had words. <laughs> what did you think of the script uh i thought uh-oh i got a paper cut here what do i do this fucking guy is awesome angus uh cloud i hope he continues to work so he can be interviewed more <laughs> uh, what a what a fucking nice interview that was and boy he was making that girl sweat well, she kept the, barreling through. She thought she was going to find a question he'd actually have an answer to. <laughs> yeah, that's Lauren Zima from Entertainment Tonight, who is also wow. Chris Harrison's fiance, Chris Harrison of The Bachelor fame, who got booted off The Bachelor. Oh, yeah. how's she feeling about that now? Yeah. Listen, what's she going to do? Somebody should ask her a question. How's right. Chris? <laughs> what did you, how, did, how did you feel when Chris got booted off The uh, Bachelor? What's next for Chris? <laughs> the guy's name is Connor Angus Cloud Hickey, but he goes by the name Angus Cloud. Oh, Connor so Angus Cloud. Uh, somebody gave him a wild middle uh, territory there in his name. Connor Angus Cloud Hickey. Good actor. Or whatever. He's good. Love this guy. I hope people keep seeing that personality and writing shows around it. <laughs> I actually watched that interview like 10 times. Hey, Rose, you're on the air in New Jersey. Hi, Howard. How are you? Long time. Listen. Um, uh, Robin, hi. I love you. Hi. I love you so much. Um, I just want to say that, you know, dancing is such like a provocative, sexual, sensual kind of a thing. And it's so weird to me when Derek Hoff and Juliana dance together. It's like incestual. I don't know. It like gives me such creeps. Yeah, that's why I watch it. I, I go, like those, t those two are brother and sister and it's sexual. Did you, it's did so he dance with her every no. song? They brought in some special people to dance because maybe it was just getting too weird. And, and, uh, <laughs> but I wish I had the dialogue between the two of them. It's great when they discuss like, hey, Julianne, I tell you, I'm a big fan of the movies. And then she'll go, yeah, me too. I always dreamt I could be in Singing in the Rain. That's right. Me too. <laughs> I would, you know, uh, and it's like. 
It's like, well, how the fuck did we get back to the Eisenhower years? How did entertainment get so goofy? Well, you know what, I thought, Howard? I was, I was thinking about that. And do you remember, la- I think it was last year when Nicki Minaj and Megan Thee Stallion like, performed at some award show and they were like scissoring on stage? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, gross. You know, it's like my kids, you know, I had to be like, boys, run out of the room. This is, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like Aaron, you know, I don't know. I was even thinking like Derek Huff and his sister are like the new Osmonds. Remember the Osmond? uh, Oh, yeah. Donnie uh, uh, Donnie and Marie. Donnie and Marie. That was kind of creepy, too. You know, yeah, I mean, and, yeah, because they'd like be singing dinner. love songs to each other. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it seems to me like, like most the... of the people at the Grammys were like Donnie and Marie. Like a lot of that music that they're celebrating was very Donnie and Marie-ish, like safe, kind of like sweet. Like they used to have this band called the Archies named after the comic book. And, um, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, you know, la di da. You know, I always think of the 1910 Fruit Com- Company with yeah. yummy, yummy, yummy. I've got love yeah, in my a lot tummy. Of it, a lot of the music being celebrated at the Grammys seemed to be in that kind of... Yeah. Like those uh, BTS kids, they, they were doing a song about butter. You know? They got to get some new moves. Though. This is the, this, every, I see them about once a year, and it's the same moves. <laughs> if they're going to dance, they got to learn a new dance. And I understand that young girls like them because they're sexually inoffensive, that they're they're almost androgynous. They 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 dress like girls and they they look they don't have any facial hair, they don't have any body hair and like a little like a, a nine year old girl would be attracted to them, you know. Yeah. Because they they don't look like a scary man. They're not scary. Right. Right. That's I get it. That but but to celebrate those guys and to say this is the best in music, it's kind of insulting, honestly. And I, and I think that's a catchy little song, Butter. And in the same way that I think, you know, um, The Little Mermaid has a few catchy tunes. It's, <laughs> it's sweet. It's sweet. But, I mean, as an adult, to sit there and watch these kids, like, and uh, what's his name? The Trevor Noah. He should he should drop that gig. Because if I had to stand there, and Trevor Noah is like an accomplished guy. If I had to stand there for a night and go, and now, everybody, the biggest rock band in the world. B-T-S. Hi, guys. And I'm like, yeah, you know, do I really want to do that? They're probably not even paying them that much money. It's like, I want to get a hold of Chris Rock and say, why are you even going to the Oscars? Fuck them. Just keep doing your live shows. Concentrate on your stand-up. Fuck, it not. Fuck the Oscars. It's so lame. The movies suck anyway. The best shit's Yeah, nobody saw those free. movies. Did you see any of the movies? No. Power of the Dog. <laughs> Fuck me, Power of the Dog. I don't even know what that is. You know, it's like to, to, to tune in the Grammys and see them, you know, okay, th- thank God they had, you know, a couple of good artists there. But for the most part, everyone sounded like the Starland vocal band that, you know, <laughs> did Afternoon Delight. Ah, uh, <laughs> Afternoon Delight. You know, it's like, okay, that's that's a legitimate form of music. I don't say no. There's somebody who likes that shit, but is that really the best music has to offer? Those kids doing the butter. <laughs> and, I, you know, and I think Justin Bieber is actually a real kind of a big talent and has some longevity. He is. But, he is. But the kid was up there singing about peaches. 
Okay. <laughs> Is that the best we have to offer musically? That's what you've got to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is that is that all there is? Well, I wonder if you know, like my parents thought, you know, like bands like Nirvana and you know, Nirvana's music was composed of like only various chords that you could easily play. Like even that Meat Puppet song that you know you just played, like. The instrumental portions of that are, you know, that not that complicated. Like, I mean, I don't even know Doja Cat. I don't know her music, and I don't want to disparage her. Maybe she's very good, but, you know, she came out dressed like a superhero to get her award. She just pissed, and uh, her whole, and she even fucking adjusted her vagina and everything, and that's cool. I mean, you know, anything goes, but. <laughs> well, that's not sanitized, yeah. Is she the best? Yeah, I don't know if she washed her hands or what, but I, w I was a little bit grossed out. And then I was like, like, I don't know. Is she the best really in music? She was up there crying. She, you know, I think the Beatles got one Grammy. One. I know. They had a, I think it was for Michelle or something like that. You know, me, Michelle, my bell. Hey, you know, and, and like Sergeant Peppers didn't win best album of the year. I mean, how legitimate is any of this? It's nonsense. It's really a weird show. I mean, and. Then I watched that Derek and Juliana off, and I'm like, man, I feel like I'm back in my parents' house watching Sid Charisse. That's and, why and, I don't and, watch regular television. That's why I'm always on those streaming services, so I can see something uh, real. You're perfect. I mean, I'm not no, it's not that I'm you. perfect. It's just that you I don't are. care about... No, you know, you're perfect. Trust I don't you're care perfect, about Robin. everybody Robin. being acceptable. Robin, <laughs> you're perfect, except like the Rolling I Stones. Here, I know you're all freaks, and you're pretending. <laughs> the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones didn't win a Grammy until 1994. I you know. know. I well, you crazy. know, this is the same thing we used to say when they were when you know they were young yeah. and they were putting out songs. They were still giving the Grammy to. I don't know, Dean Martin right. for, for the best pop song. Yeah, like Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just weird. Entertainment is weird. Everything's weird. I hear somebody with a celebrity sighting. Ooh. Kelly was at her gym and saw a celebrity. Go ahead, Kelly, in Texas. Yes, I um, was at the gym working out with my trainer on Friday, and Dr. Now belongs to my gym, <laughs> and he was working out. No kidding. How cool is that, Dr. Now? He does the work. <laughs> he does the well, work. you got to do the work. He's not really doing the work. Oh. He spent a lot more time texting than he did working out. Yeah, I don't like, uh, you know, these people go to the gym, and they're, they're with their phone. I... I find it very unmotivating. I really think that Dr. Now, uh, because he is an icon and he is an example for people losing weight, he, he really shouldn't be on his phone when he's working out. Does he, does he go up to any overweight people and yell at them? Why are you no. doing? Why do you eat so much? No. no, no, there are not a lot of overweight people at, at, at this gym. By the way, uh, Dr. Now wants to yell at Kelly. He's very upset <laughs> that Kelly was spying on him during his workout. Uh -oh. Dr. Now, Dr. Now, go ahead. Have your way with Kelly. Uh, this is a show that anyone can speak their mind. Go ahead. What is this, e. Kelly? First of all, 
Well, how much you weigh? You sound like you're fat. You know that? <laughs> how much you weigh, Kelly? You talk to me. I'm on my phone. Get my name out of your mouth. Getting my name out of your mouth, Kelly. You don't well, know I... anything about Dr. Now. Well, it sounds to me, Dr. Now, that in a way you're entitled to your privacy at the gym. Is that what you're trying to say? Listen, for me, the gym is a time for meditation. Sometimes I'm on my phone talking to clients to 300, 400, 500 pounds. You should train yourself to mind your own business, Kelly, <laughs> and leave me alone when I'm doing... Well, you know I bench press 350 pounds, so fuck you. You don't know anything about me. You just turn this here and you say it about you don't know. Hey, don't let him know. How dare you? Well, you Kelly, and your uh... sloppy ass. Don't ever talk that way, you doctor. Now. It's ridiculous, this woman. You give a platform, this woman is here. You like to do that? Ridiculous. Kelly, I, I see Dr. Now has put you in your place. You're not even answering. How much yeah, do you weigh? Saying, do you think? I'm not even answering because I can't stop laughing. You're well, going to uh, be laughing when you're dead because you could probably weigh so much. And you, I notice, Kelly, she smells. I smell oh. her. I have to walk the other side of gym. She comes from a yoga class. Oh, my gosh. Something died in her. <laughs> well, Dr. Now, I'm sure you have a busy schedule today. I know you're going to be doing surgery on many obese people. Is that right? I do, yeah. I miss why I'm on my phone. I do surgery. I have to tell people about 1,200 calorie diet. I have to go yell at fat people. I say, you easily lose 20, 30 pounds. You don't do the work. I'm in there doing the work. And this Kelly is busting my balls. I don't appreciate it, Kelly. I'm busy saving people. What are you, do what are you doing with your life? What are you doing? All right. Thank you, Dr. Now. Kelly, thank you for the celebrity sighting. And uh, quite disconcerting to hear that Dr. Now is on his phone while he's at the gym. I believe yes, that he should be working Fuck you, out. Kelly. I say it, he I don't care. A, he Fuck did you. do a few reps at each machine, but he did more reps with his thumbs on his phone. Right. You're Repeat. very rude. Yeah, I did a lot of reps. I'm going to do reps. Uh, you see you, I'll do a rep. You won't like it, okay? <laughs> don't ever you talk on top of that doctor now. You worry about your own business. Kelly, uh, I, also, doc, doctor now is very short, is he not? How tall is he? He is. He is very short. I mean, he's exactly like you see on TV. You know, he's an older man. His right. shoulders are, are somewhat stooped. But listen, he's in the gym. He is putting he's in trying. some effort. You know, right. the problem with Kelly is she's very passive-aggressive. She come on <laughs> your show and she make the comment like this. She needs psychotherapy because she's so right. in other people's business. She don't even know what she's doing. Yeah, I bet you've been doing reps at Burger King, KFC. You feel Arby's, she needs... sandwiches. Does that not true what you're just saying to me? <laughs> do you, do you, Doctor? Now, do you really? Uh, I, I, you recommend psychotherapy for her? She needs. Uh, first of all, I think she's probably on the drugs because I'm not that short. I right. am of average not. height. 
And I don't dye my hair either. So stop this rumor you spread on the internet. You, I know it's you that's doing this. It, does it feel funny to know that this woman is observing you the whole time in your workout? I mean, tracking everything you do. It's disconcerting. Yes, Kelly is projecting. That's the problem with her. She she should be on drugs. She uh, she should be on Lipitor to calm herself down. I'm gonna observe you. See how you like it. Say how sweaty your All tits right, are. Thank you. Gonna say how <laughs> how much your how many fat rolls you have if you need to learn twenty thirty pounds. All right, thank you, Doctor. My trainer recommended that I. I record him and send it to you and I decline. Yeah, you and your trainer are going to get banned from that gym. You're laughing at your people's body that make you bully. You want to be a bully? I'm Kelly? not laughing at your body. You're mocking me. I make fun of fat people all day. I know someone making fun of people. You bitch, <laughs> how dare you? All right, Dr. Now. <laughs> Uh, Doctor, now by the way, you sound a little too clear. Every once in a while, you, you gotta. Well, say I something think I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm trying to gather my thoughts. That's I'm exactly to, right. I'm trying to get <laughs> right there. You try to speak English and speak clear all all the day. It's not easy. <laughs> That's right. How many languages do they speak, Doctor? Right. No, yeah, you, this guy wanted to barely speak. I hear this. He'll barely speak in English. English, don't English, even English, English is your second language. I know. I heard I, you I, use a new word today. Algernine. Good for you. Maybe you learn all the other words, too. Another bully. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Doctor Now. There he is. Doctor Now and Kelly. All right. The new power couple. Yes, they're a good team. How great were they, those two? You gotta I love, love it. it. Doctor Now's in the phone in the in the gym with his phone. <laughs> Let's go to Jeff the drunk. What's on your mind, Jeff? Yeah, I want yeah. to ask Robert. Why is she so mean to me? <laughs> what am I mean to you, Jeff? No, all According the time. to you, Howard never picks up on you, so how can I be mean to you? No. No, you're always nasty to me. <laughs> you always got a bad combat. Like, really. It really bothers Jeff, I had sympathy for you. The uh, couple of weeks ago, I lost the use of my hand for a little while, and I said, wow, now I'm I'm feeling what Jeff feels. I couldn't get anything done. I was very sympathetic toward you. He's referring. He's been writing me Whoa. nonstop. I wasn't even going to bring it up. It's so silly. What? You were um, you were commenting on uh, Michael Rappaport, and you said, oh, now you're being like Jeff the Drunk, and somehow he interprets that as you being mean. Here, I'll play oh. you the clip. Here's the clip. Huh. Uh, when Michael uh, called in last week, he got upset with yeah. me for declining to appear on the Wendy Williams show. And uh, Robin referred to Mike as Jeff the Drunk, and Jeff didn't like it. Here's the. Uh, here's the I, I've here's given it. you gold for fucking years, dear. When you're on, you I'm asking you. All right, I'm Jeff the Drunk, you, stop it. So then, Jeff oh, the Drunk. So Jeff the Drunk saying you provide content for the show, and Howard doesn't appreciate it, and he owes oh, you it, something. Jeff was so then Jeff started um, recording messages about you and uh, your me here. I'll play it for you. I wasn't even going to bring it. Yeah, this message is for Robert. What the fuck, Robin? Michael Rappaport was doing a story 
And then my my name came up out of nowhere. Keep my name out your fucking mouth, (laughs) Robin. Keep my name out your mouth. See, he loves when you mention him. He's of course. And then he gave him something to talk about. Exactly. And then he uh, and then he started in with that. You're projecting your anger towards your father onto him. Which ah, now he's psychoanalyzing me. Yeah, here it is. Is is there something about Robin specifically that that's upsetting you? Uh, no, well, you know, Robin, I didn't molest you. Don't fucking come at me like I'm fucking abusing you. What the fuck? Wow, you you think maybe she's projecting? Those feelings yeah, onto that, you. Yeah, her father. Dude, that's deep. I think that's what's going on here. I don't think yeah. I could ever see Jeff as a father figure so that I would have uh, that feeling no, I, for him. There's certain times throughout the years that I've heard you combat. Well, it's not only the drinking thing. Jeff, I gotta, I gotta, Jeff, I, I gotta tell you, you know, I, I, and I don't want to dwell on this, but <laughs> I think he's aware? trying to be you, Howard. You know, like sometimes yeah. you'll <laughs> psychoanalyze people. Are you aware that, like, when you speak, it's like it's this is what it sounds like to us? I <laughs> Robin. <laughs> It's like it's like I'm not aware of that. Yeah, it's really hard to understand you sometimes. Maybe that's part of the reason I can't always pick up. You know, the other day I was interviewing Machine Gun Kelly, and uh, Jeff was on the phone, and the guy said afterwards Jeff was getting completely belligerent. He couldn't believe you wouldn't pick up on him while Machine Machine Gun Kelly was here. Yeah, and Jeff's Jeff's been listening to the show. Jeff's been listening, and Jeff's been listening to this show for years. And they go, "How can that be?" No. Like he knows when I'm doing an interview, I, I can't was, pick up on. Listen, listen, listen. I called up. I was on hold. All I did was simply text Twitch, and I said, "Because I know it was getting near the end of the interview." And I simply texted Twitch and said, I'm on hold. And he, and he writes back, well, what do you have me to do? Tell him to quit interviewing <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly? I'm like, I didn't fucking say that. What the fuck? What <laughs> bullshit. Jeff, Jeff has a move when you're interviewing people. I mean, he, done it, he did it with Mick Jagger, too. Where he'll tell me in the middle of the interview, like while the person's performing, I'm on hold. So I simply told Jeff, I, "We we see you. First of all, we always know when you're all on hold. You don't have to tell us." Right. Yeah. And Howard's literally. I mean, you're in. The guy was performing a song, and then you started calling me a dummy, and that continued throughout the day. I know that dummy. You don't have to tell me that dummy. That's not what I'm saying, dummy. Meanwhile, Jeff. I called you at 8.30 the night before so I could hear you rant about Robin. That's really rude. Yeah. 
You're rude. I was, I was just simply. Jeff, Jeff if I'm interviewing that. someone, just hang up and just realize it's not your day. That's all. It's but so what silly. we also want to point out yeah, to you was, is with you, Jeff, no deed, no good deed goes unpunished. Chris right. calls you, and then look at what you do. What? Well, right. What's yeah, you're so right about that when he speaks, because when I'm recording him, I have to get him to repeat things two or three times before it's in any way legible. It's most of it. Can I tell you something? I think it's funnier if you don't ask him to repeat it. Just not understand. <laughs> yeah, but then I don't know what he's. I don't even know what I'm giving you. <laughs> I, don't like, yeah. I just think it's funny. <laughs> that, like, he, like he's like. <laughs> And you're like, what? Well, even it's the like, way he writes, he didn't write on hold. He wrote, I'm on hood, H-O-O-D. So I said, oh, you're... <laughs> I'm on hood. You mean he writes like he talks? Yeah, he goes... <laughs> he goes... Any word, I'm on hood. I said, he's doing an interview, Jeff. I know, I'm just saying, dummy. Well, so I said, okay, saying? I'll ask him... Jeff, why are you bothering people during an interview? No one's going to stop Since the Since you know it, why are you doing that? I was just telling him. I was at home. That's all. But why? Uh, what was your point? Why know. are you saying you're on hold? We know you're on hold. I look because over and I'm like, in the middle of talking to, to Mick Jagger, and I see Jeff the Drunk is on. <laughs> oh, Jeff the Drunk. Well, then, if he knows I'm on hold, why did you text me today? Are you on hold? Yeah, you that's different. I if I reach out to you, that's oh. a little different. But if oh, we're in the middle of an interview with Mick Jagger, Machine Gun Kelly, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you being on hold clearly makes no difference. When I'm talking to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I'm going to stop the show and go, wait, Jeff, the drunk's on hold. Hold on, guys. And then, and then like, like they're in the middle of talking <laughs> about, you know, writing their new album. You go, I'm on who? Robin and she Why don't you pick up on me? I'm fun. Okay. I'm not a fun. I was not saying that. What are you saying? What are you saying? I was just saying that I was available. For, for what? At 10 a.m. He's available for an for interview. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, machine. <laughs> Flea, Flea, hold on a second. Jeff's on the line. I got to talk to him. That's what I'm going to do from now on. No matter who I'm talking to, if Jeff's on the line, I'm going to stop everything and just go, Jeff, go ahead. Something who is really that lady? Important. Who was that lady they used to have in the audience at uh, was it the Ed Sullivan Mrs. show? Mrs. Miller? Or? Yeah, he's Her name like was Mrs. Mrs. Miller. <laughs> yeah, right. Mrs. Miller would show up at like the Merv Griffin show. And in the middle of the show, you know, Merv would have to acknowledge she was there. Right. Yeah. I would appreciate that. Oh, you would? <laughs> I would. All right. Jeff, have a good day. That's Amazing. Jeff. Right. There you go. I got a Jeff the Drunk song, if anybody wants to hear it. Here you go. Jeff the Drunk song. This will make him happy. Monday, all his calls.
calls our shit. Tuesday, I wish he would quit. Wednesday, his voice makes me sick. Hang up on Jeff the drunk. He's boring and he has no charm. Drinking has done his brain harm. His calls are deader than his arm. Hang up on Jeff the drunk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Got a lot of uh, things going on today. Uh, Gary's going to present a, well, I don't think we're going to have time for it today because we do have the Red Hot Chili Peppers coming in, but uh, Gary is going to present a uh, springtime Karens package that I think everyone will enjoy. There's a whole bunch of Karens that uh, Gary's put together, and this is really, I think, the most disturbing group that I've ever really? heard. Really? Yeah. It gets more disturbing. I mean, they've all been pretty disturbing. I'll give you a preview so you can get excited about it. Okay. I'll give you one, but the rest I will have Gary present tomorrow. This is just like a commercial for what Gary's going to be doing. Yeah. Gary loves this whole Karen video thing. and he He's amazing. He, he follows these people. He looks good. Yeah. He's become an expert on Karen's. And a Karen is, uh, according to uh, Dictionary.com, is anyone who's an obnoxious, angry, entitled, very often racist, middle-aged white woman <laughs> who uses whatever privilege she may have to get her way or police other people's behaviors. I think that's about the best way to describe what a Karen is. And I guess, you know, spring has arrived and people are getting outside, which gives Karens an opportunity to big be you know, like like uh like like police you know watching this everybody and what they're display. doing play yes yeah so the one i'll tease you with this is uh this is get you excited for tomorrow's show uh here's a real know-it-all i was impressed with this one this one knows everything and you can't prove them wrong so this karen she's walking around her neighborhood and she sees some like black and latino residents there who are using the neighborhood pool so she springs into action because she knows what the hell are black and Latino people doing in her pool. They couldn't be from this neighborhood. That's right. There's no, that's a very common theme with these characters. You know, there's no way in my white neighborhood these people could have bought in and I wouldn't know about it. Right. This would be major news. So she immediately steps up, has no qualms about it. She confronts these black and or Latino people. Here we go. Do you know me? No, I know who lives here. And who doesn't. You know who lives here? Yeah. You know who lives here? Yeah, I do. How do you know that I don't live Let me here? Let tell you how. Because I was here when this neighborhood was built, and I knew every single person who bought in here. Are I've you been here since 2010? Are you serious right now? I'm so serious. So you know everybody. Oh, you know everyone that lives in my neighborhood. You live here? We do. Live yes. Here, That's great if you live here. Do you live here? Yes. Okay, so Who where? Cares? I'm not giving you my address. There you go. Karen, she's involved with the neighborhood pool. Let me tell you something. I know every person in my neighborhood. I keep a tally of every black person within 100 miles. That's how not racist I am. You know. I love that this is people at their best. <laughs> yeah. This is a, what she has to offer the world. I hate public pools just because, I mean, I, first of all, 
I'm so evolved. I hate being in a pool with people of any color. White. <laughs> I don't like being in a pool with white people. What do you think of that? I go up to them and I go, you're not from this neighborhood. They go, yes, we are. I go, well, I just don't want you in my pool. I want to have it all to myself. Howard, the thing I love about her is she's like the mayor of the block, meaning right. like she yeah. runs the block. It's And, and you know, she's going to tell everyone on the block how life should work. Yeah. You know, she was there when they built the neighborhood. Yeah, only 10 years ago, by the way. Not like she's been there since the 50s. Well, let me tell you something. We had a secret meeting and we specifically agreed no you know who's in this neighborhood. <laughs> so I don't know what you're doing here. So yeah, somebody fucked up. <laughs> don't these people know by now everybody has a phone and they're gonna be on the internet and they're gonna look like assholes. They just haven't figured it out. Oh no, no, they figured it out. In fact, there's a lot of them a lot of some of my favorite ones are like, I see your camera. Yeah, get right here. Like they wanna be on camera. Like, I don't care who you show this to. And then it gets out in public, and then it gets fucking ugly. A lot of times, the police officers have to come. It's a waste of play time. This, one. this is what this is—a waste of time. If the police now have to show up, there's a crime being committed that's not being taken care of. I like this. Uh, I, I was watching this one over and over again. This woman was on a bus. She got kicked off the bus for not wearing a mask. She wouldn't put on her mask. You know, it's on a fucking bus. So she freaked out. And um, the cops come and they were just like, they just stood around her and watched her. It was so fucking entertaining. <laughs> and she's tiny. She's small too, right, Gary? And she was smaller than I would have expected because I always listen to the audio first. But uh, these Karens are born with superhuman lungs. They, I mean, this woman is screaming at the bus as she as the bus pulls away. She gets on her knees and starts screaming, <laughs> and the police I, officers just stand in there. They don't even know what to do with her. It's it's such nonsense. I thought she'd been stabbed in the back a hundred times. I thought there was a murder happening the way she wow. was. Screaming. Yeah, she's like a little kid. Here you go. <laughs> she got kicked off the bus. All she had to do, by the way, is put on her mask. Everything would have been fine. <laughs> you see these two big cops are just standing there watching. You think she'd be a little embarrassed? This they, isn't just against watch. the law. <laughs> you know, they look like two they parents. Yeah, they look like parents watching their kid, you know, like have a tantrum. Have a temper tantrum, right. Yeah. All she had to do is put on her mask. Wouldn't put she's on her mask. screaming, someone give me a ride. Who's going to let her in their car? <laughs> you wouldn't pick her up and say, hey, no. let me help you out. <laughs> let me but help no. you. You're so right. It's yeah. like, you know, when your kids got out of control and you're like, I can't even do anything at this point. I'm just going <laughs> to let them get tired of screaming. I'll just be over right. here until they're done. Yeah. Once they wear themselves out. That's what the cops That's were right. doing. All right. I got time. I'll do one more here. Gary, this is your segment, but I'm doing it. Okay. This is good. This is a tease for tomorrow. This one, um, Gary calls Lawyer Karen. Hmm. So this woman goes to Petco. One of the workers refuses to serve her because she wouldn't wear a mask. So she starts in, I'm going to sue you guys. And, you know, they, and she, she's, she's reciting the law. 
It's always and about the mask, huh? <laughs> it's always about the mask. And, and, and it sounds like she's in the courtroom. She's Perry Mason presenting the case to the fucking pet co-worker who's just trying to get through his day, which is a shit day, as you can imagine. And by the way, she starts citing ordinances. I have no idea whether they're true, but oh, she's got, she's got bullshit. numbers and things. She's got numbers and everything. <laughs> yeah, it's very Alex Jones. You know, when he starts saying, we have proof that the United States has been selling us uh, cat vermin or something. You know, like, like he just has a weird way of talking. She's just she is reciting law to a person who, you know. Excuse me, man. I make four dollars an hour. Can you just right. fucking? I'm just. Try, I don't care. Just put they, the the rule is you got to wear a mask. There you go. Denying my service and re, and re, and uh, requiring me to be served outside to be limited home delivery is a violation of Title One, Title Three, Title Seven of the U United States Civil Rights Act. It's fine because I am going to sue Petco and I'm going to sue you. Yeah, by the way, watching a lot of Law and Order doesn't make you a lawyer. I've read How you the federal laws and this the poor kid for. <laughs> Uh, yo, she's going to get him. She's going to sue him. She's going to sue Petco. The United States Civil Rights Act. It's fine because I am going to sue Petco and I'm going to sue you. I've read you the federal laws and the federal regulations. You have a mind virus. You're a disgrace to society. You're a fucking demon. I am going to request that Petco unleash and the United States and the state of Massachusetts require you for a psychological evaluation for denying federal <laughs> laws, for trying to hold up a screen where you think the air doesn't come around through recirculated vents in here. You're a disgrace to humanity. You're a demon. Look at you hiding behind a shield like there's no other air in the store. You think you're healthy? You think you're protecting yourself? I appreciate it. I'm not you, I am a scientist, you dumb nut. Sure you are. <laughs> She got her uh, law degree She's from the Google. Nutty professor. <laughs> she got a law degree from Google University. That's well, she's fair, also uh, a scientist. She's got two degrees. David in Texas, you're you're on the air. Hey, Howard, how's it going? Long time, first hey, time, buddy. What up? <laughs> I got to switch to my phone. So, um, yeah, I live in a pretty affluent neighborhood in in uh, North uh, North Dallas. I've done pretty well for myself. I'm a young guy, and. Uh, I, uh, every time I'm outside mowing my lawn, I, I almost always get a, uh, a white person show up and ask for my business card for lawn mowing service. <laughs> That's white <Man>. people. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I live, and then when I say I live here, they're like, oh, uh, I'm sorry. And then they drive off like totally flustered. <laughs> like, how the hell can a Mexican own that nice a house? Sir, right. I know everyone in this neighborhood. You don't live here. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. You're going to need to give like... me some proof that you live here, sir, before I call the police. Can you imagine? <laughs> and these same white people crazy. will tell you they're not entitled. You know, they'll, they'll say, right. no, no, no. I worked hard for everything I got. And if somebody else does that, they shouldn't wind up in my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, great story. Marianne from Brooklyn, you're on the air. Howard, I love you so much. I was just thinking, isn't it funny? How, wait, Howard, listen to this. How long, how long will I slide? I can't wait for the red hot chili peppers. I have no Well, speaking of which. Oh, is that what she was doing? I didn't well, know. Yeah. I was gonna <laughs> singing how long, how long. How Sing long it right now. will I slide? And Howard answered, there's a crow in that song. There's a big sing crow. It. You got to ask him. Get everyone what psyched up for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Let me hear you sing a little. Uh, sing your favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers song. How Go ahead. long, how long will I slide? How about this? Get, get, wait. Get, get, 
What does she know? Five words? <laughs> she can't give get away. past that. Give her, give her a chance. Give, give it, give it, give it, give it away, 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 give it away. That's my moment. Wait, how, my favorite is how long, how long will I slide and feel those? Oh, fuck. <laughs> All right, there you go. That gets you in the mood. There you I go. Will... Anyway, that was a little teaser. We have more Karens tomorrow, just so you know. I There's also want more? to remind... There's more. There's always more. When you listen to this show, we always have more. Let me tell you that... Uh, I Nutris... hope we run out of these amazingly horrible people at some point. The Godfather of Soul, James Brown. Get on the good foot. I know the chili peppers. I love that he sings things in noise. Just sing it. Don't even ask what it means. (laughs) Well, uh, I know the chili peppers love James Brown. They have many musical influences. And uh, you kind of get it when you listen to a chili peppers album. You could see where these boys would love a good funky tune. Hey now to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. How exciting. We've been waiting a long time to get this band in here. We celebrate them today and their longevity. Yay! I mean, look at that. How many bands, boys? How many bands? Good to see all of you. Hello. How many bands have this kind of longevity? Very few. You guys have done it. You beat the odds. You write great albums, great songs. I was watching Flea. Flea, I was watching you, the um, the tape of you playing um, the Star Spangled Banner on your bass at the uh, at the basketball game the other night. My God, that was, I didn't know you could turn a bass into something that sounded like a lead guitar. You know what I mean? It was very, very awesome. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, I woke that. up in the, I woke up in the morning uh, yesterday morning with the mother morning before I did the anthem and... Uh, my two favorite anthems that I know of of all time are Marvin Gaye's one at the All-Star Game that he did in 1983 and Jimi Hendrix's one at Woodstock, which is kind of, you know, a comment on the Vietnam War and stuff. Right. And uh, watch those ones, and they're both just so beautiful that I tried to internalize them, and I hope that I might get lucky and get a little bit of that emotion in there. And I was, you know, I was excited because Anthony and Chad were there watching, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to besmirch the band name and do a do a shitty one. <laughs> no, no, it was quite impressive. In fact, um, I, I I was impressed because to me it would be intimidating to do the Star Spangled Banner on guitar. In light of Jimi Hendrix, you know, because he, he made it so iconic, but you were able to do it and make it your own. And, and it was, it was just amazing. I, I loved it. Um, Thank you. you know, the, the, the other thing I, I read was that when Billy Corgan was touring with you guys, he said he saw you play the bass so hard with your, with your fingers that after a Chili Peppers concert, there would be a hole in your thumb that, that <laughs> you would rip a hole into your thumb. That's how hard you go at it. And I thought, that, my God. That used to be a regular occurrence. Um, you know, the nature of our music changed over the years where every song wasn't always so hard. But I used to rip my thumb open and, and uh, had a, I figured out the best way to fix it was to put super glue in the hole and uh, <laughs> just patch it up and turn it into this glue thumb, robo thumb. And that's what I did for years and years and years. Until... Um, I, 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 I hear stuff like that. That's called living on the edge because I'm such a pussy that if I ripped a hole in my thumb, I'd say, that's it. I'm not playing the guitar anymore. It's over. 
uh, I, I hurt myself. I got to I got to pick up a new instrument. But you you know you just stick some crazy glue in there and the and you keep going. It's, well, it's we come from the school. I've I, you know there's this great photograph of Pete Townsend, like holding up his hand with blood dripping all over his hand, and um, <laughs> I always you know see that as like this pinnacle of of uh, art and action coming together, like like uh, Yukio Mishima said, and I love that. I love that idea. And that's kind of like the punk rock scene that we came up in together was very much like that. It was like this physical thing and the cerebral and the spiritual all coming together in this real wild mix. Yeah. Uh, boys, it's good to see you all together. I mean, this is uh, this is really something to get you up early in the morning doing this. Did you guys go to bed super early or have you been up all night? What was the approach to this uh, to this appearance? Chad Smith uh, got a hotel room in Hollywood as he lives at the beach and he slept at the old Sunset Marquee. I did. Room 409, is it? Is uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 409, ladies. We if got anybody wants rest. to visit, <laughs> got you got a little rest. But yeah, I had I the like weirdest, that. weirdest dream. I had it's the craziest dream, so I don't know. I mean, you know what Larry David says. What did you say? No one cares. Okay, good. Yeah. Thank God. Chad, what was your dream? About what, what, what was. No, 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 no. Oh, oh, oh. No, no, one cares. Cares. no one cares. Someone cares. I don't cares. remember. No, no, no. The man it was Chad. Just, it, was, it was really odd. Yeah. I, I, I Chad, what I, I do I, care I about. Into, yes, sir. All right. I do actually care about your dream, but what I really even care about is the, the fact that you uh, put up this tribute to Taylor Hawkins, who just died mm. from the Foo Fighters, way too young. Uh, it's very upsetting. Um, uh, on your drum, you have a picture of Taylor Hawkins, and uh, I had Taylor on the show many times. I just thought he was the loveliest guy. Yeah, um, uh, very upsetting. Uh, um, that's a nice tribute. I mean, I don't. How many times in your career have you put a picture of somebody on your on your drum? Mm. Uh, not too many, you know. I mean, uh, I love Taylor. Uh, he was one of my best friends. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's. It's, I'm, we're still shocked and, and so saddened by his passing. Um, yeah, he loved you, Howard. He was, he was like, um, he's like, you know, kind of tough. He goes, no, 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 he's great. Howard's great. He always asks like really good questions. Smart guys, fun. You should do it. You should do it. I was like, well, okay. (laughs) But he, uh, yeah, well, and he loved life, you know, and, and he, um, was a real beacon and, and full of, positive energy um i'm gonna miss him so much you know he was he's a godfather to my son beckett and um you know we spent a lot of time together these guys loved him too we toured a lot back in the late 90s and 2000s played a lot of shows with the food fighters and um you know i love his family and 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 just trying to be there for him on every the outpouring from everywhere you know, not only musicians, but, but people all over walks of life showed, showed how much he was so, um, loved. And, um, yeah, when I asked him to be my son's godfather, I said, uh, Taylor, can you, do you think you'd be the godfather to Beckett? And he goes, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, well, well um, you know, yeah. What do I got to do? I go, I, I don't, I think, you know, not, not really anything. He goes, okay, great. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at that. You know, that's so funny with the godfather kind of thing. Like you say to yeah. someone, you'd be the godfather of my child. And really nobody knows what that means. Well, I mean, it's spiritual he... guidance, I think. So, like if you looked at <laughs> under the maybe, you know, but 
he was, uh, you know, he was, and he was, he was beautiful. And I, I'm gonna, you know, we're all gonna miss him. And um, so, yeah, just you know, a little tribute. And and um, uh, you know, I love him. Do you? Uh, is it a thing with drummers that um, do you think you got close to him because you guys can sit there and talk drums specifically? Like he's another guy. He's yeah. in your, you know, he's. He's a guy who came up with you. He toured with you, and all of that. Is that the yeah. close bond? Would you guys sit and I talk mean, about drumming? It, it, it's part of it, you know. We we and we really, you know, on other levels, personal levels, but but certainly musically, yeah. I mean, we would often talk to each other and say, you know, we're both drummers that have been in rock bands that are for a long time still going, still relevant, and playing stadiums. How lucky are we? And but we also had. Uh, we're both uh, married and and have three small children relatively the same age and so we could often you know talk about just our lives like that you know and sort of it was it was um it was you know we crazy wives crazy lives kind of thing you know so <laughs> we, and, we, we, and it was fun yeah go ahead yeah yeah no no because wow. we could we could really relate on that 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 level at on on top of you know, just uh, our our friendship. I don't know why we get into this on this show, but uh, many times <laughs> I asked uh, Lars from Metallica this question: Who is the greatest drummer of all time? Was it John Bonham? Yes, Neil. It was John Bonham, right? <laughs> it was not Neil Peart. <laughs> yeah, it was John Bonham, right? Well, why is I say, that's I what I so. said? Yes. Okay, and, I, and, well, you're a smart, handsome, powerful man. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I, I like yeah. to be right once in a while because he hit, <laughs> what is it? He hit the drums so hard? No, no. And often people think that because of his sound in Led Zeppelin, you know, he, he did play with a ferocious energy, but he had the finesse as well. He's not, wasn't just a pounder. He played, you know, very dynamically and played beautifully and musically for that music. But he was an innovator, Howard, you know, from the very beginning, from note one of the first Led Zeppelin record, Good Times, Bad Times, he had his sound. Right. And he had his, and he had the way he played and, and he was doing this thing with his foot that no one was, had really done in rock and roll. And it was all there right at the beginning, 19 years old. That's rare. Of course, he grew and changed as a, as a musician. And but from the beginning, and that band just changed everything from the the, the kind of tinny sixties to the full Technicolor seventies and that sound and the way they played. But he, to me, was the best rock rock drummer for sure. Neil, no, no diss to. There's many, many other great drummers, and a lot, a lot of people do. Keith Moon, Ginger Baker, and a lot of these guys, and, and Neil as well. But for my money, it's it's John Bonham. His swing, the swing that he, the way that he played, made that music so uh, you know just danceable. He was incredible. And when you're a young guy trying to figure out how to be a professional musician, what is the trick? You sit there. Would you listen to let's say Charlie Watts playing the drums on a Rolling Stones record, and try to do an imitation of that at first, so you can learn how to play the drums, and then you find your own style? Is that the trick to it? Uh, that's one way to do it, and I certainly did that. I played along to all my all those records, and 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 Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, you you know, and the list goes on. But yeah, you would put the headphones on, you down in the basement, 
and play along to those records and try to emulate the the feel of that and play like that if you could. And uh, it was an exciting thing for a teenager. You close your eyes and you, you think you're in, in Black Sabbath or whatever. You know, <laughs> I loved it. But at <laughs> yeah. some point, at some point, you have to find your own thing. But yeah, that definitely helps because uh, uh, you're playing with music. You're not just playing by yourself. And it's important also to technically to get your chops up and, and, and play all the things that you need to do so you can... Um, realize that what you hear and hopefully facilitate that on your instrument but yeah i mean i'd spend hours in the basement and my mother i grew up in detroit and she would she would say i'm going out shopping now she had be a good time to practice mm, go, oh, right okay i go downstairs and and then she would flick on the lights on and off when she was home and i'd be like oh wow man light show yeah. <laughs> this is my first light show <laughs> can you imagine you know my mother was she goes uh, you can play the clarinet that's a nice instrument you can play uh, piano she goes but i'm not listening to those fakakta drums she would say you know i she wouldn't let me practice like drum like it's got to be a very tolerant parent who would allow They're someone very, to be a drummer yeah yeah yes, you must, yeah you yeah, must absolutely. love her for that yeah, I, yeah, I do. Sure. And she, and as much trouble as I got in Howard back in the day as a young rebel, she never took the dr drums away from me. She's, I, you know, I would have, I would get grounded. That was her form of uh, punishment often for long periods of time. Maybe that's why I got to be so good on, <laughs> or at least I could play well. Is your Go down and play the drums. And, and, you know, I couldn't do other things, but she never took that away from me. And did I, they I, get to see, did your mom get to see your great success with the chili peppers yeah. or was, yeah. Howard, my mother is 95 years old. Wow. That's awesome. Living that in the house, awesome. in the basement I'm talking about, in the house I grew up with still to this day. It's like a time warp, you know, museum over there, you know, with the blue shag carpeting and the, and, you know, my little twin bed in my room. And why don't you want to stay here when you come home, Chad? I'm like, Mom, I'm 63 <laughs> now, and I'm 60 years old, but thanks for <laughs> But, yeah. yes, oh, she has. She's been, she's, uh, yeah, and it's one of my great joys to, you know, we, we were just inducted into the walk on Hollywood, and she was so happy, you know, she was like, oh. Carol Burnett is on the Walk of Fame. Oh, oh, that's really something. Oh, goodness. That's amazing. You, so. you know, I don't know why I had this impression of the Chili Peppers, but when I was watching you guys get inducted to the, or whatever you want to call it, to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, you got a star on the Walk of Fame. I could tell it was really meaningful to you. And I, you know, sometimes I go, ah, what's the big deal? What's that? But I guess, mm. especially for Anthony and Flea growing up in uh, L.A. and, uh, you know, in the California area, you know that that's like a big deal the walk of fame maybe more than maybe more than anything because you never imagine in your life you're going to be up there you know it, it it's really crazy you know, a lot of people don't know flea started out as a trumpet player and uh and you didn't even like rock and roll you, you looked down on it as a as a young man you were kind of like uh, a bit of a musical snob jazz is where it's at this is what i like but when you look on this what, why, why did you pick up the bass and get into a rock and roll band? Um, because I met Halal Slovak. Anthony and I were best friends from when we were 15, when we met <clears throat> just, you know, 10th grade, just turned 15. And um, one day we were out in North Hollywood hitchhiking, and we saw Halal Slovak drive by in his Datsun, his green Datsun B210, 510. What was it called? 210. 510. Oh, 510. A green hatchback. It was the hatchback. It was a hatchback. 
and um, he picked us up, <clears throat> and we became a threesome, and became best friends. And and uh, Halal played guitar in a rock band, and not long after that, you know, it, actually, you know, like I don't know, like I, within a year, he he had a rock band. He asked me to start playing bass. And um, I had, and I never liked rock music at all. Like you said, you know, I, right. I grew up in a jazz household, and I, and I really admired my stepdad. He was a jazz bass player, and I wanted to be a jazz trumpet player. I got Dizzy Gillespie on my shirt today. I wanted to be like Dizzy Gillespie when I grew up. He was my hero, and um, <clears throat> and and I met Halal, and he started playing me Jimi Hendrix and Zeppelin and Rush, and. Uh, I started developing a real soft spot, and then I'd go with him to his rehearsal and see him play guitar, and like all the love that he had for it really touched me and, and rubbed off on me. And one day he asked me if I would like to play bass and join his band because he did, wasn't happy with the bass player that they had. And uh, like two, three weeks later, I was on stage at Gazari's playing bass and anthem. In Unbelievable. And, and, <laughs> would you consider so yourself... Fun. Were you a savant in a way, the fact that you could pick up trumpet and then just say, okay, I'll play bass now and become a world-class bass player? Or do, you, do you feel that you had some natural ability or was it just your work ethic at the thing that you just attacked the bass and said, I'm going to learn this thing and put in the 10,000 hours? I don't know if it was either. I think at that age, you know, it's much easier to pick things up and just, I was fearless about music, you know, and I was just going to play the way that I could play and do the best that I could. And I was just so in love with the idea and of being in a band and all of us being friends together. Um, and I think I really, more than anything, yearned for that feeling of community and belonging and being with my friends and doing something, you know, and it, that meant so much to me. And all of a sudden, like, kind of girls were talking to me and stuff. And I was such a shy little guy. Um, it was just all so fun and exciting. I, I, I don't know that I had time to even think about it. No, I don't, I don't think that my brain really works in a way that I'm, like, particularly smart or anything like that. I just was in love with being with my friends and playing. I think that's what I was swept away with and and romanticizing the music and the musicians, the rock musicians that I fell in love with like Zeppelin and Hendrix and stuff. Do you think anybody could learn to be a world-class musician if they worked hard enough at it or do you have to have some natural talent? I mean, I I I, I still think you got to have some someone once told me you got to be a good mathematician in order to be a good musician that that they go hand in hand. Do you guys buy into that at all? I think that everybody has a different relationship to music and rhythm and, and how it affects them. And like you thinking about it, John, I, I heard I heard an interesting thing about it the other day. I think it has a lot to do with something inside you that makes you feel like it's a matter of death life or death that you accomplish something like right it's not so much that you're born with some special spark in you but uh the way i heard it described the other day was if somebody gave you a pill like if, if somebody gave a pill to somebody who's who normally has been frustrated by creativity and given up a lot of times if they if somebody made them take a pill that by taking that pill, unless they started really expressing themselves creatively within a year, they would die. Mm. They'd surprise themselves with how creative they were capable of being. Because when I was growing up, right. I didn't feel particularly talented, especially for the first few years. But it seemed like a matter of life and death that I had to become good at this instrument. Mm. 
And I think it's whatever puts that in a person that and, that, and John, don't that, you, that that conviction. And John, don't you say thank God you had that? I mean, imagine like a like I wanted to learn how to paint about eight years ago. I started painting, and it became life and death to me. It really did. I just wanted to be good at it. I wanted to paint, and I go thank God I had that because I would have wasted eight years not learning that. It, 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 thank God as a kid, that passion was there to be a musician. It's uh, it's quite incredible. Who is who? Flea isn't the best bass player that ever lived. Jack Bruce of Cream, because someone told me he played chords on his bass, and that's what made him so great. Jack Bruce is a phenomenal bass player. I mean, best is such a relative term. I don't. I, I, it's impossible for me because, like Lemmy from Motorhead, also played chords, and I right. love the way Lemmy plays so much. Um, there's a lot of great bass players. Like right now, there's Thundercat and Mono Neon, who are two electric bass players that I really am humbled by their skills and their vision and their style. Um, there's so many great bass players. I mean, a lot of people say Jaco Pistorius is the greatest because he was so innovative, but there's you know there's dozens of them. I can't I don't I can't look at it that way. Let me ask you a cultural question. When you guys, because this band is so great, and you guys really have written just endlessly hit, great hit songs, and we celebrate your new album today, and we're going to get to try to get to everything. But when you watch something like the Grammys, are you like me? Maybe I'm just an old fart, which I am an old fart. But I watch that and I go, it's so mediocre. It's so nice. It's so safe. It's not everybody. I'm not lumping everyone in. But it almost seems like a disappointment, especially, I would think, for the Chili Peppers. Because when you guys came on the scene, I remember the first time I became aware of the Chili Peppers, you did the cover of Higher Ground, Stevie Wonder. I thought that was crazy. Like, crazy great. Who the hell does a cover of a Stevie Wonder song? You don't even touch something like that and make it a rock and roll song. It was risk-taking. It was edgy. It was, You know what I mean? I just feel disappointed in music today that it's not... It's just not living up to what I expected. Did you see the Grammys? I didn't watch it. Did you see the Grammys? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. How was it? It was okay. <laughs> John, you taped it, right? <laughs> Howard, I got to tell you right now, you're frozen with your hand like this. Am I really? Yeah, what happened to Howard? Yeah, you're frozen. Are you there? But as long as you can hear me, who cares if I'm yeah. frozen? Can yeah. you hear me okay? okay it's a great night. look. So. <laughs> it's technology. Hi, Robin. Were you Good relating morning. that to the question? or Was I relating it? Yeah. No, I was, was just a... saying, I, I don't know that we paid that much attention to the Grammys. Why, though? Is it is it an unimportant thing? Is it, is it really just over for the Grammys? Are they... Uh, are we, it I'm, just I'm seems not, like... I'm not a Grammy uh, an analyst, really. I, I haven't watched was, the Grammys was, for... A long time. Was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, was that meaningful to you? Or again, is that sort of in the same league as the Grammys? I, I always feel like I never really care about any of those things, like any accolade. But then when it happens and we get one, then all of a sudden I get all welled up inside and feel like, oh, my goodness, we're being seen. You know, we're valued because I always feel like us, we're just workers, you know, right. like, like, 
like this, we just put out this new record, Unlimited Love. Like, for me, like, it's great to put out a record, and I'm really proud of it. And I, I look at my three bandmates, and I'm literally in awe of them, of what they did. Like, Anthony on this record, uh, for me, it's beyond, it's the greatest work he's ever done. Like, like uh, these guys, like, I just, in awe of them, honestly. But I, I, I just think about it, it's like, we just work. We get into a room, and we work every day. You know, we get up, we like roll up our sleeves and we go in and we look at each other. And we're like, well, I came up with this little idea. Let's work on it. And each one of us contributes and we just hone and work and refine and create and build stuff. We're builders. You know, we like how does it work, things. though? Would you would you explain the process as best as you can to me? In other words, I know that Anthony writes most of the lyrics. Is that right? Anthony, do you write the majority of the lyrics? I, I hope so. <laughs> okay. And and do you wait for the guys to go somewhere and come to you with a track or 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 is it like do do Chad and John go in a room somewhere with Flea? Do they do you separate that out? Do you do you sit in the same room together? How what is the process? Do you keep a journal where you write down every little sort of poetic thought? How does it how does it come together, the new album? I, I think the process is that we're not married to a specific process. Okay. And anything goes, and everything goes, and like Flea said, we're, we all like to work, we all like to create, we all like to build something. <clears throat> so on any given day, that it could come from, Flea could pop out of his garage, and he's like, I've got this bass line. Or John might have stayed up all night on his living room floor working out an arrangement for some beautiful guitar chords. Or Chad might just play a beat before anybody gets to the studio, and John will walk in and hear the beat and go, there's a song there. Mm. Um, I might be on a train or in a Chevy or on an airplane feeling emotional and start writing words and bring them to practice. Anything right. goes, any, any sound goes, any idea goes, we're going to experiment with everything that somebody comes in with, and then we build on it. You know, sometimes it's more formulated, sometimes it's just the kernel, but there's a look in everybody's eyes when we hear something that resonates with us, and... We're pretty open-minded when it comes to sharing creative ideas with each other. and So so yes. take the song, for example, Under the Bridge. All right? That was a, a big song for you guys. So, Anthony, the guys, you have an experience actually under the bridge. From what I read, you, you went to, I don't know, at the time, uh, either buy some drugs or whatever it was. But you were under a bridge and you felt alienated. You felt alone. And you said to yourself, oh, God, this is this is the feeling of loneliness and it's horrible. And you actually said the lyrics to yourself. Is that is, is that correct? Is that how it worked? That's not far from the truth. Um, I had certainly alienated myself from the rest of the world. And then I wrote a little poem to myself, which was on the very last page of my notebook and sitting with Rick Rubin. He's like, what else you got? What else you got? And I'm like, that, that's really all I got. And he's like, well, what's this poem on the back page? And I'm like, ah, that's personal. How does it go? So I sang it to him, and he said, that's a song. And um, <clears throat> What do you mean you sang it to him? What, what, what do you well, mean it, you, it you, you with, had the tune in your head? I did. It, the, the, this particular poem came with a built-in melody. <laughs> like um, sometimes, sometimes I feel... You know, like... like, 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 like that is yeah you go, you start yeah. going you start you actually had the whole song formed and you didn't think it was good enough to bring to the band because it's too personal and rick says to you what the fuck do this 
A, I didn't have the entire song worked out, and and B, the the whole melody changed when John put guitar chords beneath it, or next right. to it, or on top of it. Um, it, it it brought something to the song that the song didn't have when it was just a cappella. Um, See that, that that's it wasn't fascinating. That it wasn't good enough. It was just right. it was it was different and it was personal. We hadn't really gone down that road yet. But the cool thing was that when I sang it to anybody in the band, they were like. Oh hell yes! That's let's work on that. And I was like, really? Ah. You sure? And, and that's funny to me that like artists sometimes don't even know what they have. They have gold there. Uh, maybe that's the value of Rick Rubin, your longtime producer. That Rick says to you, "Wait, well, what's that? What's that little scrawl on the back of your journal?" In other words, he mm. gives you the confidence to present it to the rest of the band. Is that accurate? That is. I mean, he's got many attributes, and that is one of them that he recognizes. Great scrawl. <laughs> um, but you know, so, right. so do all of us. Like John is a fantastic example of somebody who sees just something in the rough that that wants to come to life, and and he is a master of bringing it to life by facilitating and offering you a a safe space to work in. By safe space, you mean it would be like if Rick Rubin was sitting there looking in your journal, and he said to you. What's that on the back of your journal? And then you go, oh, this thing is very personal. And then he reads it and he goes, oh, yeah, that sucks. Don't you know? In other words, <laughs> the safe space is, hey, this is good. This could be something. John offers that to you also. Like John will say to you, hey, this is something we can work with. We all offer it to each other. And and sometimes, you know, you have to look at your best friend and go, eh, mm, let's, let's try the next thing. <laughs> so that that's part of it too is just being honest and saying I, that that makes me feel something or this this might not yeah it's definitely part of the part of part of a good chemistry in a in a band uh especially when you're writing together that everybody uh is comfortable feeling vulnerable with each other you're you're gonna be okay you're really putting yourself out there to the other guys and you're gonna be okay if an idea gets shut down and you're gonna be okay if something feels like you feel kind of unconfident about it and somebody else tells you that that uh that that's something that's really good you feel comfortable trusting them and to bring out that part of you that maybe the reason you were uncomfortable is because it's such a deeply rooted part of yourself and john when you're picking that little guitar part in the beginning of that song under the bridge you said that's a nod to Jimi hendrix right little wing you, you in other words uh that's something that you brought to the band that you were working on separately uh well we had been covering the song um as far as the intro itself that was definitely inspired by a little tidbit that the Minutemen used to do mm. but but um but in general, when I heard Anthony sing the song, we had been covering um, Castles. Castles Made of Sand by Jimi Hendrix. And, you know, Jimi Hendrix had this certain type of song, that, that uh, the song Bold is Love, uh, the song Little Wing, the song Castles Made of Sand. They're all in this category of this certain style of guitar playing and chord changes. And uh, we we covered Castles Made of Sand all through the Mother's Milk tour, so... It was in the back of my head that we could do a song like that someday. And when it, when Anthony had the Under the Bridge idea, it just seemed like that would be a perfect place to to do a song of that type. You guys are particularly good at uh, covers. I, I I remember watching the Wood that Woodstock performance where Flea, you were naked, 
And, uh, and, and people draw a lot of attention to that. But I thought the version of Jimi Hendrix Fire that you guys did on stage that night, I thought that was fucking awesome. I mean, that was a great cover version of a very difficult song to cover. Uh, everything seemed to kick that night. Uh, Anthony, your vocals, uh, the, the guitar work, the drums, uh, Lee, I don't still know how you don't injure your penis playing naked. I, I don't get it. Uh, but, God, I'm so jealous of your penis, I can't even begin to tell you. Uh, it's, it's magnificent. It is just magnificent. If I had a big penis, I'd be naked all the time. I wouldn't wear clothes up, but uh, what am I going to do? I got nothing. I got nothing. But, the, you know, the, the, the idea of covering a song is so fantastic when you do it right. The fact that Higher Ground became such a big hit. Did you have to go to Stevie Wonder and say, we're going to do your song? Uh, do you have to get permission from him to cover it on an album? I think you might have to get it legally at one point, but we just did it. And it's funny because when you mentioned that song earlier, I was thinking the first time I ever played with John Frusciante, we, I had a friend named D.H. Poligro who actually played drums in the Chili Peppers for a very short while. He was a drummer of the Dead Kennedys. And um, he said, I have this friend, this kid, he's really ripping on the guitar, let's get together and jam. And, you know, I often, I would jam with anyone, like go over to someone's garage and jam, like hell yeah. And I went over and I jammed with, was jamming with John and D.H. in this garage and uh, at D.H.'s house. And I just started playing that. Like I had, I just, maybe I'd played it at home, but I'd never played it before with anybody. And um, John started playing and that was the first time that that had ever been played in that style. And it was the first time I ever played with John. That's yeah, I, re I remember Flea was... was uh, we were sitting in the car. I think we tried it, and then we listened to it a little bit in the car to get it a little better. Is that right? You know? And and uh, and yeah, Flea was saying what a good idea it would be to 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 do a heavy metal version of Higher Ground. You know, uh, that was your idea, and you you were like, because it was in the '80s when there was so much bad heavy metal, and Flea was like, heavy metal can be so rocking. You know, I don't remember that. Yeah, part. you were you were talking about how a heavy metal, and we were also talking about it in relationship to the funkadelic song, which we also played, uh, uh, Alice in My Fantasies. Right. Like it's a heavy metal tune, but that is a heavy metal tune with a deep groove. You know. Yeah. And and so yeah, it was the idea of doing a heavy metal version of Higher Ground, and like that when you mentioned earlier, Howard, like that's. Uh, a lot, you know, we we definitely weren't thinking like, let's do a really, you know, ambitious, courageous thing, you know, like for us, it was just like, sounds like a cool idea. Let's try it. You know, usually things are just, you're Fun. just, you're just curious, like, you know, what would happen? Yeah. What what would happen? Yeah. Okay, I, this when, is what happened. When, uh, <laughs> Listen to that baseline. Flee, you show off you. Listen to that fucking baseline. And then the drum kicks in. Oh, that's so nice. It's very trippy. Not bad. And then the first thing you think is, oh, my God, what is he going to do with the vocal? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's Stevie. Let me listen to this a little. It's so good. Ah. <laughs> it's great. Did Stevie ever call you guys and say, you know, I like what you did, or you never heard from him? I, I actually saw him not too long ago with a good friend of mine, and, and, and he came over, and 
He said, hey, Stevie, what did you think of that, of Chili Peppers? Did you like the way they covered higher ground? He goes, I like the publishing checks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it uh, true story uh, yeah well, i don't know i mean and i think i think did, did you mention one time you like saw him and, 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 and you played it and he he said oh you the way he liked the way you changed the clav part and trans i know i don't remember that i had a funny experience with him once okay. in a in a hotel lobby in in detroit okay yeah about it okay <laughs> What was that experience? What happened? <laughs> well, it was more like I like someone called me and said a road manager or something said Stevie Wonders in the lobby of the hotel, and I was so excited because it's my hero. I, I right. love Stevie Wonder, one of my greatest heroes. And I I ran down to the lobby to try to say hi to him, thinking maybe he'd talk to me because of the cover and stuff. And he was sitting there, and I walked up to him, and I was like, Stevie, hi, I, I'm Flea. I play in the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you know, I just wanted to say hello. We played in your in your played your cover and you know and and i i love you and i can't remember but he just kind of didn't say a word just <laughs> straight ahead not looking at me not acknowledging me and i kind of waited and i felt awkward and a minute went by and i said it again well i just wanted to say hi i'm flea and you know anyways uh you know your you, your music means so much to me and anyways have a beautiful day i, I you know i didn't know what to do i was just kind of yeah. and i thought me you know and I kind of, like another minute went by, I got more and more and awkward, and he said nothing, ignored me. And I got ready to walk away, and I was kind of walked away, and he goes, are you one of the members? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm the bass player. And I kind of thought he was like, kind of gauging to see if I was full of shit or not, you know. He <laughs> right. was like, oh, okay, uh, hi, would you guys play my fundraiser next month for the <laughs> or something? I can't remember. <laughs> and I was like, you know, however we could be of service, you know, Stevie, I, I, um, if we can. And, and I can't remember, then we chatted for a minute or something. But since then, I've met him a number of times, and he's always been really generous of spirit and kind and engaging. And uh, I admire him very much. I can't I sing a note, but I... Yeah, go ahead, Chad. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, just for the Stevie Wonder thing. Have you seen the the uh, Amir's movie, the Summer of Soul movie? Uh, no, I haven't watched it yet. No. Oh my God! There's there's Stevie Wonder doing a drum solo in that film. That is one of the greatest things uh, you'll ever see. And he hear. steals the show, huh? He steals the show. It's amazing. Like people think Stevie Wonder, singer, you know, piano player on the drums, which he played the drums on a lot of his records, one of the most incredible drummers. But to see him, like, in 19, whatever that was, 69, doing a solo, it's incredible. It's one of the wow. greatest things. You, I mean, it's worth it alone just to, for that. It's, you know, like Anthony said, I think it's the best thing about the film, and it's, it's. but, I mean, the whole thing is great. TV Wonder on the drums, none better. Did you know the song Superstition? It was originally... Jeff Beck was playing the drum beat in in Stevie Wonder's studio, and then, uh, and then Stevie Wonder was playing the clavinet or whatever, and then, and then Stevie Wonder replaced Jeff, Jeff Beck's drums. drums with himself playing drums. <laughs> the intro to that, it's the most simplest thing you could like. That would be the first thing you would play if you would like. Here, here's some sticks, and just everything is the funkiest four bars there is. Amazing, you know, Chad. I'm thinking. Uh, I actually watch American Idol, and I've been watching your daughter on there, uh, and uh, Ava, I believe her name is, 
And she covered Stevie Wonders lately. I wonder if you coached her on that and said, uh, here's what (laughs) you need to do. Vocally, vocally. (laughs) I'm known for my pipes. No, I'm so proud of her. She's, she's, uh, yeah, I actually watched her last night. It was great. It's a really good experience for her. She's, she's a great kid. I'm so proud of her. Yeah, she's having a good time. I don't know how anybody does hard. Yeah, and she's, She's it's, 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 yeah, yeah. And the other thing about the experience of that stuff is that, it, it is. She's up like we are at five in the morning and doing, you know, the, this part. It's not just get up on stage and sing your song. It's it's what goes into it. And uh, it's great. It's a really good experience for anybody, especially a young person that's never done that before. So, yeah, it's great. It is a good experience because, you know, it breaks my heart in a way. Some of these kids, you got three people judging you on, you know, yeah. whether you can see your daughter. That part, I don't I, that part. Uh, I, she's got I, a great I look. Like she comp- can sing. I mean, she she yeah, looks no. like she could have a career and she's got a father who's a major star. I mean, no, uh, there's a lot. They, but like when I see three people judging her and telling her what to do and stuff, you sit there and go, shit, I could never conduct my career that way. Anthony, you would never have gone on American Idol. A flea wouldn't go no. on there doing the bass. You know, it just it, you just wouldn't. You have to me. It's a scary proposition that people sitting there judging you. What was great about you guys is when you started out, you'd go to a club or something, I guess, to play those initial gigs. And the audience was the judge. Whether they got yeah. up and started moving around, you know, that's it. It's a yeah. very, I can't imagine, very intimidating experience for a kid to be on that thing. Uh, it's just freaking. Anthony, do you remember, do you have a memory? Because when he mentioned the song lately, and I didn't know Ava played it, mm. but us sitting in Scoot's house in the 80s listening to Lately, like those specific, I remember one time it was like I was brought to tears. Yes, I do remember listening to Lately with you and Dondi Bestone. And as soon as I heard that Ava had sung Lately, yeah. I was like, Chad, that's a great song. That's one of my favorites. We we used to get down with that song. But I just wanted to say to Ava, yeah. she's been playing music for yeah. 10, 11, 12 years. She's, yeah. She put in the, the time. She's putting it in. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember a, a while ago, I guess it was a couple of years ago now, maybe actually probably like four years, like, Anthony and I were going to a Laker game together <clears throat> and we're walking up and we're a little bit late and the anthem's already happening, right? And, you know, we walk in and I'm like, gosh, someone's really doing a good anthem tonight. This is beautiful. <laughs> and we have no idea who it was. And we walk in and someone's saying, I'm like, who is that? I know that person doing the anthem. And it was like a really good one. Just like no show off, just like beautiful from the heart. And, uh, it was Ava. I was so mind blown. Because I never say that walking to an anthem, like, oh, it's the anthem. You know, like, let's get the ball rolling. And it was so, like, we were just blown away. Yeah, I was thinking Ava's going to win American Idol, but I don't know. I mean, you know, I will. Really you won. got a lot of pull. You got a lot of pull. You do those, those shows. People, I know. Yeah, people listen Come to on. me. I'm you, telling yeah, you, you're, I, I, I can you're get a powerful her man. Come on. No, she's a very, very talented girl. She can really sing. I mean, you know, it's like uh, it, it could be awfully horrible to have your kid go on there and be humiliated because you only want good shit for your kid. You know, you just want them to be OK. And I could just imagine she probably gets the initial reaction. Oh, so your dad's in the Red Hot Chili Peppers and you think you're so great. You know, like I'm sure there's a knock against her immediately because she has a famous musician father. Well, you know what? She has been very... um uh, uh, she's been very good about making sure that that is not the case. It's not, it's not this nepotism thing. It's, it's she's for her whole career. She shows a young person. It's, she does not 
go down that route. My dad does stuff. She does wants to do it on her own, whatever, wherever she wants to go. And for any of my kids, and especially for her, there is not, it's not, um, you know, I'm getting the leg up because of who my father or what he does or any of that sort of stuff. She makes it a point and has in that television show. I'm not there or any of that sort of thing. I'm supporting her, but it's not any of that. And and it's I, I commend her and applaud her for being so mature in that way. It's really, I'm really proud. Boys, this new album, you know, it's getting a lot of good reviews. And, you know, a lot of bands kind of rest on their laurels after a while when you've had as many hits as the red hot chili peppers you could have like just kept touring uh doing your thing uh playing playing the hits but you went and you you know you made a new album and 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 you're gonna have great success with it it seems to me john is a it must be great for the three of you to have john back in the band because john seems to be that catalyst that that guy who makes you guys elevate your game uh is that a fair assumption to make because every time john's in the band the the, 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 the band the band just seems like it, it goes to a certain level john that's a good that, that's a fair assumption he is a yeah. he's, be, he's more than a catalyst he is a catalyst but he's our brother he's our family and i think just being around him and seeing how much he pours into what he does is infectious. It's contagious. Um, it's inspiring, literally inspiring, not just like, oh, wow, I'm inspired. But he offers ingredients and love and hard work and a cosmic ability to listen to the air around him and constantly conjure and produce sound and song and emotion. So for sure, it makes us want to do better, work harder, but it's also just fun. Like, yeah. getting, writing songs is fun and waking up with nothing, but going to sleep with something is a very satisfying feeling. And it's satisfying in a for free and for fun way. It wasn't, we didn't try to go write some hits. In fact, <clears throat> we kind of went the other way and went back to basics of just jamming, playing blues songs, playing old red hot chili pepper songs from the early eighties. And whatever came, came. You know, it wasn't uh, something we were trying to manufacture. Uh, what was it like for you guys? What was it like for you guys not to have John in the band? Like, what, And John, what was it like for you to watch the Red Hot Chili Peppers do their thing and be away from the band? Was it good for you to have some time off and just kind of, I don't know, regenerate or get get new ideas? I would think when you're in one of the biggest bands in the world, it must have been really difficult for you to step away. Um, I didn't spend any time regretting it. I, I, it was the right thing for me to do at the time. And I really didn't pay attention to rock music in general, other than the old stuff that I'm attached to. Uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, I was just making electronic music and they were living in one world and I was living in another one. So yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention really. What made you um, ready to come back for this album? Uh, it was a certain amount of of uh, soul searching that I'd done, and uh, conversations with my closest friend, where a couple of my closest friends, where um, I felt it seemed like I'd changed and grown enough as a person to where. There were certain things that I wanted to, 
I, I wanted, uh, it felt like it would be a beautiful thing to have another chance to do it right. I felt that way when I rejoined the first time. Uh, right. Was that that uh, on a personal level and on a musical level, I had some new ideas about where where I thought those relationships could go, and uh, and and it was the same thing this time. I just I I was seeing. Anthony and Flea and Chad through a different lens than I had seen them through when I quit. Not that either time that I quit that it was specifically anything to do with personal, but you know, having a personal relationship in a band is is a hard thing. You've got to be in sync with four people working as hard as they work, doing, you know, going where they go, doing what they do, almost thinking what they think every day. It's an intense thing to do, you know, and so I've found for myself that 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 I've needed a I've needed to clear my head of it and rem- try to figure out who I am as a person and where I had gotten to in 2019 before I rejoined for the second time uh I really wanted to have that have that closeness and that kind of vulnerable interaction with them again. Yeah, that's where it had come from for me must have been great for you guys though you must have been like oh wow john wants to come back it must have been really kind of a no-brainer right or or did you guys have some discussion and say gee could could we go back and 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 just start working again together i mean there was definitely something in the air because without knowing that john wanted to come back and without knowing that flea had been having interactions with john musically um suddenly i felt very overwhelmed with the feeling of how do we get john back and right. uh, and flea and i had a very classic moment where we went to each other to say something important and he's like i gotta go and i was like no i gotta tell you something i got to and it was just in the air it was time for john to come back and i was shocked when flea told me that that john was interested in that he had been playing with john and um you know there was there were no hard feelings there were no resentments there were no regrets um the fact that we were able to kind of keep keep things going while john was away was sort of perfect in the end because we were available when when he showed up and it was time for change and we felt you know, but, our, our, yeah i mean i feel like you four musically just get each other and it's really nice to see the whole band together you know before you guys do under the bridge i, I want to go back to december 1991 and paint for my audience the fact that you guys when when um when when blood sugar sex magic came out it was an amazing time in music when you think about it mm. and to put it into some kind of perspective you guys were on the road with pearl jam as the opening act nirvana was in the middle and you guys were the closers. That is an amazing moment in music. It, it, that's why I brought up the Grammys and how come it seems so lame to me sometimes. What a rebirth of music. I can't imagine what that tour must have been like. You guys had an album that was really breaking big. Pearl Jam was coming out with 10. And Nirvana, we know what, what happened with them. What was that tour like back then? But, but before you do Under the Bridge, because I want to just remember what it, and how long you guys have been doing this. That must have been amazing stuff going on between the, the three bands. 
think we were all, I mean, I don't know, it was a, a much different experience for all of us um, personally. I just remember it, it was another tour. And, like, we made a record that we were really proud of. And we wanted to go pour our souls into it. And we're dealing in this situation that we are talking about before, this communally creative situation. And that that was the thing that I remember the most. Like, it was, it was always intense. And it was always, at everything we had ever done, it had always been, we're going to play this show. Like, I'm about to get shot in the face or killed by an axe murderer right after the show. Every note like it's your last note. That was something we always said. Play every note like it's your last. <clears throat> and so we always go out there with that attitude and that feeling that our lives depended on on this is our statement to the world. Um, and that particular show, no, they were just good bands, man. Like Nirvana had just put out Nevermind. You know, Pearl Jam was, was just kind of the newbies. They were up and coming. They had made their first album. And, you know, I had gone backpacking with Eddie and knew him for many years before he was ever in Pearl Jam. You know, he was a friend of our original drummer's, Jack's. So it was nice. I was like, wow, he sings in a rock band now, and, and they have a hit record, and we're on tour together. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was all just meaningful and of the moment and organic and flowing. It wasn't uh, like, oh, we're with these bands, and they're really big, and this is, it was just, we were doing our thing. Would you watch these guys? Would you feel competitive with these other bands? In, in, in the sense that when you go on stage, and I've heard other musicians talk about this, you want to be, especially if you're the closer, you want to be the band that blows everyone out of, out of their fucking minds. Like, you want to close that and kind of like, I want to say almost put every other band in its place. Like, now, you know, now the Chili Peppers are here. Fuck you guys. We're, we're taking over. Because you don't want to tank in front of that audience. There is a competitiveness to it all, isn't there? I, I I never felt particularly competitive with them. I always feel like when we go on stage, like we are going to obliterate the fucking universe. Right. But I remember just feeling like, like you know, they're good bands at Nirvana that they were really carrying a heavy magic with them. Like just this feeling like they are a powerful entity to be respected. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah, it's you guys... something I was... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Please, John. Go ahead. Oh, it was, um, it's something else that I was thinking in relationship to that thing that makes a musician develop into a into a good musician. It's also the same in a band. Like, when, when we were playing together in, you know, 88, 89, like, like when we were still playing in clubs, it really felt like a life or death thing that we we had to succeed at what we were doing you know like like not just commercially but like our shows had to have an energy our shows had to move people people had to be dancing you know like uh and that has so much to do with that thing that you were talking about as far as how we elevate each other's ability you know they make me a better guitarist like we 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 uh that chemistry that thing that makes us better our styles were in large part developed because we were under that we put ourselves under that pressure of wanting to be good not comparing it to anybody but wanting to be able to explode together when we stepped on stage and keep that explosion going for the whole concert like do you mean john do you mean because the the um the it's not so much whether Nirvana was good before you uh, that that were just on the stage. It's just you set up, you set up this thing where you imagine, it, with knowing all the history of rock and roll, you're now in front of an audience 
We just want to make this the biggest event possible. And when you pull it off, there's no greater high, right? When you get an audience completely taken with your performance, I've heard musicians say that's why that's why drugs occur, because you can't even come down off the high when you get off the stage after you've you know performed in front of all these people and they're going berserk. Is that the thing? Is that that high the thing you're chasing? It really meant a lot to us. I think it's more that God given thing that you were talking about, you know, like for some right. reason, it really meant a lot to us to 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 be able to create a certain intensity feeling in the room that we were in when we were playing even at rehearsal you know like um and you know yeah there were there were times when there were people in the band uh early on who who it didn't mean as much to and that the band couldn't have become the same thing if 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 everybody wasn't like this means everything to me my life is over if this doesn't work you know right if any member of the band hadn't had that attitude, it would have been a failure. Yeah, yeah. None of the yeah. none of the individual members could have possibly been as good. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's incredible. You know who was good? Nirvana. They sure were. When we played with them, yeah, they were just good. No, those. I mean, that was a life changing. What do you mean, Anthony? Yeah. What do you mean they were just good? Like they, they, they what was it? You know. I feel like some of this is a natural thing. Like John, John has a very clear understanding of <clears throat> dynamics, and 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 then there's you have to have an idiot in the band, which is me. Um, you know, I have these kind of savanti, mathematical eggheads, and and you know people that can compute complicated music, and then you need a little balance. Um, <laughs> and so for me, the that feeling that John is so beautifully describing, it was just natural. The first time that we ever played, it was just natural to have an energy, to have a, a passion and have a, a live or die um, aesthetic to everything that we did. But I feel like Nirvana had that naturally as well. Like they, they were certainly good at their at, at their instruments and songwriting and chemistry and all that. But then they also just had a combustibility that that came with birth or came from God or came from the planets or something. Mm -hmm. Because Anthony, did you get to hang out? Did you get to hang out with Kurt Cobain and talk about being a front man? I would imagine you being around uh, other front men, so to speak, uh, would be important yeah. to you. Uh, I mean, I, I was usually pretty nervous when I, whenever I was hanging around with him, um, just because I was in awe, and and he wasn't the type who wanted to discuss being a front man. He was just kind of shy and in his energetic <laughs> state. But uh, Flea and I had some some nice moments with him at a some MTV show where we snuck away and went backstage and just sat with him while he was getting ready to play, and that was a nice experience. Um, I sat with what, him. What was unusual about it that uh, that he was uh, sitting and playing and and kind of loose as a goose and like uh, loose. He was yeah, loose and, loose. And, and warm and inviting and relaxed, and it wasn't like he had been on tour for a long time and was all you know emotionally chaotic he was quite within himself and said yeah come right. and sit and yeah um he was a beautiful dude and and he left us with a ton of unbelievable music and energy and uh have you ever you just would yeah go ahead say say it you no know, you brought up playing you know that that little tour with him and by the way the smashing pumpkins were also on an incarnation of that tour for quite some time which was very inspiring. They were a wild and beautiful band.
Um, have I ever sat with who? Have you ever sat with um, like like someone in rock and roll where you said, "Look, I front the band. I I want a mentor, not, not even a mentor, but but to sit and to say to someone, you know, even the idea of whether I dance around on stage or stand still during it, you know, do, do you ever sit there and have somebody you can open up to?" Who you feel is uh, somebody worthwhile who could advise you even on, on how to deal with all this, whether the fame or to deal with the just, God, fronting a band, especially when you have these three musicians who are so good. The pressure must be insane on you to keep your voice healthy. Uh, it's, you know, they talk about frontman-itis or lead singer-itis or whatever, but it, it, it's almost, it's, it's an incredibly difficult job. Is there anyone you can turn to and talk to about that if it's not Kurt Cobain? Who is it? Uh, mainly Robin. <laughs> Ro Robin is kind of my mentor in that. No, I don't consider myself a front man. I just consider myself no? part of the band. I mean, we have four front men. And, right. you know, it's, it's never been about a man. It's just always been about the boys. Um, and so that, I don't feel all the pressure. I mean, I've got Flea next to me, I've got John next to me, I've got Chad next to me. There's, it's pretty well distributed. Um, and I don't really need another musician to speak to. I could, I could talk to my gardener or, you know, anybody, but my sister. So the itis, we all have an itis. We all feel a little bit of pressure sometimes, but, um, I don't, I don't feel like I, commiserate with other singers over the itis i think that's just a human condition do you think that's what held the band together the fact that you're not sort of carrying on like a diva hey i'm you know you don't get the you know what i mean yeah. it helped <laughs> why are you laughing <laughs> oh he is a diva uh, just <laughs> no we're all team players that that, that yeah. helps team know. divas yeah. <laughs> it's funny you're, when you you bought up that tour in particular and talking to Anthony about the pressure one of the things that I really remember about that tour is is um, that I was completely losing it on that tour that I was like um, it was like a, I felt so much stress and not because you know we had become more famous or anything I think it had just come to a point like you're talking about like having someone to talk to and I remember feeling so lost and I was so str I'd gotten divorced and I we were out on the road and I I was struggling so hard just to like sleep and be okay and not fall apart and feeling this enormous anxiety that I didn't even know was anxiety at the time because I was so lost in it but looking back I feel like gosh I wish there would have been someone who could kind of have a bigger picture who i could sit and be like like i'm scared to death i can't sleep i'm miserable i i i've never been more sad in my life which was my feeling on most of that tour and um and ultimately you know it was just life that had to teach me to to uh let go and surrender to the process and be grateful to be playing music with people that i love and care about but but man it was all it was just this wild thing it was just steamrolling ahead you know by force of the music itself and by the zeitgeist of the the cultural time that we found ourselves in you know uh was the yeah. anxiety flea that 
oh my god what are we doing with our lives kind of thing like uh what if this doesn't work out am i <clears throat> fucked in life or, you know should i have a day job uh you know or wh- what was the anxiety i mean the chili peppers were you know sort of happening and getting it all together and i put out a good album seems to me like you would have been on top of the world it was our time of our, our first big breakthrough into being huge. I mean, it, it wasn't like we ever had a giant breakthrough, but if we ever did, that was the one, right? I mean, right. when Blood Sugar came out, like which we had been playing for years and playing clubs. I think it was just I felt overwhelmed, you know, by the quantity of work and by, you know, and then John left. Um, it was just like everything was just kind of spiraling, and I felt like I couldn't. I felt overwhelmed and couldn't deal with the quantity of stuff. I just wanted to go and hide in the woods and go to sleep. I remember I'm sure it happens. Reading... Oh, sorry, go ahead, John. Yeah, go. No, please. Oh, I'm just saying. I'm sure. It, I'm sure it happens in all kinds of professions. You you strive for something and then you achieve that thing, and you realize I'm still the same. Nothing's <laughs> changed. <laughs> you know, like I I still have to live with myself. Like <laughs> it, it's almost this big disappointment that happens because you realize like. Like, I, uh, you think it's going to solve all your problems, mm-hmm. and then you realize, okay, nothing solves those problems except somehow if I can go deep in myself or something. I really have to, I don't know, it just comes as a shock to, to realize that, that achieving your dreams doesn't actually make you a, a more happy person or a more content person. And, is that what blew your mind, John? Like, when you, were, when you left the band, you were like, oh, shit, this isn't solving any of my problems. I've got some issues here, and I thought that being famous and having a, some huge success would solve everything. And then you go, "Oh shit!" No, I, I, I think I, I think I, I didn't have a lot of illusions about success uh, in that way. Like I, that was an aspect of the feeling for sure. Was, uh, and a kind of a defensiveness of I'm allowed to feel like shit. Everybody's telling me I'm supposed to be happy, but I'm allowed to feel however I want to feel. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, are you asking why I quit the first time? No. Well, I would think, well, I wasn't, you know, I was just thinking that maybe you quit because success wasn't everything you dreamed it was. That's why I thought you quit maybe the first time. I don't know. That's an aspect of it, but I, 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 you know, I, I also admired a lot of people growing up who would tell me this same message, you know, in interviews and stuff. I didn't. In, in a lot of ways, I was ready for it not to be the be-all, end-all fixer of life's problems. But, but nevertheless, it, it's, it's, it's a, it feels like you're going against the grain when you are miserable and you're, you've suddenly hit it big. Uh, it's hard to live in, the, in a world where people are congratulating you and you, and, and it, and you feel, uh, impervious to any of the positivity that you're getting from other people wow like yeah i hear you uh it 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 feels really bad like when somebody asks for your autograph and somehow it feels like an insult rather than a compliment you know like uh yeah just you you you're you're experiencing everything in this way that's apparently backwards and it makes you feel very alienated instead of feeling like oh the world's embracing me now you feel like somehow uh somehow the world is just humiliating you all the time <laughs> you know it's, it's, and that's it, a weird it, thing you know you're in trouble because you're going well the people are telling me nice things and i'm, a- I'm angry with them about it for some reason you yeah can't, you can't yeah. 
Yeah, you, and you can't explain it to anybody. There's very few people who will understand what you're going through at all. You would almost by talking to people about it. I used to get myself even more confused because uh, I, I couldn't get one ounce of understanding from any of my friends about it. You know, other than yeah. maybe Flea, who was also unhappy. <laughs> you know what, Flea? I, I, I feel when I read your words. yeah, but Flea, when I read your book. I, 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 I related to it because um, of your anxiety. You, you know, I, I suffer from OCD, and it sounds to me like you do, because um, I have magical thinking sometimes. I think if, um, like you described in your book, I, if I put a book down on the bed, I was afraid the thoughts of the book would leak onto the bed, and it, I have all that shit. I, um, if I don't put my glasses down on my night table the right way, it means my career's over. Uh, all this weird shit that I can't explain, but it's a Hello. general nervousness that I wish could leave my life. But I have anxiety all the time. It is remarkable. And you, when you tell it to people, they think you're crazy, but you're not crazy. You know, it's ridiculous, but you still can't help it. Yeah, it waxes and wanes for me. I've got a lot of help now from my wife who really helps me with that stuff. Like, I can just tell her, like, I'm insane. If I don't move the soap three times before I wash my hands, before I go to the thing, like, something terrible is going to happen to me. And I, I think it's a way of dealing with really traumatic things that happen when you're young and you yep. and you get really hurt. And so you're always, like, subconsciously looking for a way to avoid this, like, blinding pain. And, um, you know, I've gone through different times in my life where I'm, I'm okay with it. And there's times where I'm absolutely terrified to wake up in the morning. And has it ever difficult. affected you? Has it ever affected you when you're recording with the band? Like you, there's a voice in, or you're on stage and the voice in your head says, Hey man, move to the left three steps. Cause if you don't, the band's going to fucking fall apart and we're going to break up and go away or something bad's going to happen to a member of your family or something like that. There's times when maybe a little bit, like, I'll play games, like, I have to breathe this much or do this much, like that neurotic shit. But the thing about the band and kind of to what John was talking about earlier, about, like, to be, to make it work, you have to be, you know, your life depends on doing it well. It's kind of the time with the band where everything else disappears and all that right. matters is being there with your guys and, and rocking out. Well, yeah, yeah. There are times you override all that shit because you know it's too important. So let's celebrate, guys. I mean, I'm anxious to hear you guys play. I'm excited that you're you're going to play, and we're going to go back now. Let's go back to that album, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, that I, you know, that I think like everyone in the world became aware of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and we knew Red Hot Chili Peppers were happening, and uh, you know, we had hits like. I could have lied. Anthony, is that true? That was about Sinead O'Connor, a relationship you had with her, that uh, you wrote that? Or do I have that wrong? Uh, I would straight. say you have that more right than wrong, but if you ask her... She would yeah. say that you have that wrong, but oh. from from whatever facet of of my experience, it was uh, inspired by her, but right. it was also inspired by John. 
because John was the one who uh, answered the phone on a rainy night and said, come over to my house. We'll figure that song out. Right. And the the uh, Under the Bridge, the one you're going to perform now, this is uh, this is such a beautiful song, but it comes from a very painful place. And as you said, Rick Rubin was the one who said, what's that on the back of your journal? There's a couple of words there. Let me see what that is. And then it turned into this song. And uh, it was a difficult song to write because it was so emotional. And also, didn't the band do, like, uh, how many arrangements of this thing until you got it right? I, I don't remember fussing with the arrangement too much. Um, yeah, I mean, the song probably began 10 years before it was written and, right. and, and some sort of uh, experience incarnation. But I feel like once th that we got writing it, it worked itself out pretty quick. And do I have it right that the band had no idea how to end Under the Bridge, so John called his mom for help, and his mom's friends from church ended up like they from a church choir sang that sort of angelic choir on the record? Is that is that is that a true story? Half true. I think we knew how to end it, but we needed John's mom and her church choir to end it. But right. we had the we had the idea for the the choral ending. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just seemed like she was the right person to do it. Yeah. Right. All of a sudden. Oh, here we go. Because it's a different mic. Uh, yeah. All right. We ready to do this? We're going to go back in time now, under the bridge, and uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers doing it live. It's hard to believe that 
There's nobody out there hard to believe that I'm all alone. At least I have her love, the state that she loved me. Lonely as I am, together we good Flea, do you still play the guitar every day do you uh practice every day or are you beyond that um i don't play guitar very very much ever um but the bass guitar i do practice uh, quite frequently yeah you do you'll go in a room i go through i go through phases but lately i've been playing a lot just because the band's being active playing right now and i want to be on top of my game and you know what could you do me a favor Flea? could you go pee for me real quick what? Could you go pee for me real quick? Thank you. I appreciate it. Do you that. have to go pee, Anthony? No, no, I just need Fleet to pee for me. Just I'll, I'll experience the relief. He'll he'll urinate. <laughs> I'll feel relieved. Yeah. What about you, John? You play guitar every day? Uh, not every single day, but quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. There, sometimes you need a day off. Sometimes it's good to let your just like with that any kind of exercise, it's good to take a day off. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, and then the band goes on from there. Let's just remind people of how many hits you guys have. Like Californication. And they keep on coming. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you Cause with the 
There you go. Jeez, what a what a resume! Now, now, do I have it right? You guys recently sold your catalog. I, I bet that was a big decision, right? Because songwriters always say our catalog; those are like our children. Our songs are like our children. We're really worried about how people use them. Uh, how big a decision was that for you guys to actually sell the catalog? Yeah, yeah, we we uh. We sold the publishing. We didn't sell our masters. And we also, for the rest of our lives, we still make those same decisions. It's if somebody wants to sample our music or if somebody wants to put our music in a movie or a TV show, that's still our decision. Um, oh. And a lot of those kind of deals, people don't have that right anymore, but we retained that right. Oh, that's so good. It's still, they're still ours, you know, like and in a spiritual sense. They're still ours. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, that, that's great that you, anymore. yeah, you get paid and you get, uh, you get to maintain the control of the, of those songs. No, I'm saying we don't get paid for them anymore. <laughs> oh, that's it. Well, you got paid one big kind of lump sum. Oh yeah, right. You don't, <laughs> it's confusing. Anyway, the new, let's talk new album. Boys, here we go again. Now you got, you guys going to tour around this album too, right? Do, do a stadium tour, no less. Don't we? We have that coming up. John, you've said in the past that the stadium tour freaks you out. Doesn't make you all that comfortable. Have you gotten past that? You did. You were that was me. one of the. That Anthony John said it. That he did. I said that recently. I yeah, no, I, a long time ago. Oh, uh, it was never. Oh no, no, no. We 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 toured stadiums in Europe all through uh, the Stadium Arcadium tour, and maybe even earlier than that. And I was comfortable with it. New work. Time. Yeah, I'm not sure in what the context was, but I mean, I was freaked out when we started playing theaters. When we moved from clubs to theaters, that bothered me. And when we moved to arenas, that also bothered me. I, I preferred that close-up, intimate feeling that we had developed with audiences and clubs. But the move to stadiums was, I recall, being quite comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah maybe that's what I'm referring to when you talked about going from clubs to theaters to arenas. It was like a really freaky thing. And I get that because, uh, you know, it's a, it's a whole different way of relating to an audience. It's some sort of vague audience, big audience. It's, uh, yeah, it's we adapted. Yeah, we adapted to it. And I noticed our music also changed in accordance with it. Like our music became the appropriate music to play in an arena. Uh, after a while there was a point we played a small club uh right before we toured for stadium arcadium and i realized that like our tunes weren't meant to be played in clubs anymore like like uh for the most part we had written tunes that really projected in that way that's necessary at an arena and it was almost like the music was too big for a for a club it, it it was unconscious we didn't do it consciously but when you're playing the big places and then you sit down to write a song and you go okay what would be a cool song for us to play live without thinking about it you're picturing an arena if that's where you're used to playing and i think it affected the tunes you know man you know what's a cool move too you know how john's got all this uh you got all those foot pedals. If I was a guitar player, I'd have a fucking load of. I love when you're <laughs> playing and you suddenly hit that pedal. You know, I, I, I it's a very cool looking thing. I think that's a great way to get chicks. 
like hitting those pedals with your feet. Like you're almost not even involved in any. You're, you're no, busy he's, with he's got pedals. a pedal for that. He's got a chick's pedal. Oh my God! The girls just watch you going. Is that a Boss chorus pedal? Do you, how do you have that frequency set on the left knob? The way he yeah. touches that wah wah pedal, it yeah. just makes me unbelievable. You see, you guys are making fun, but I'm telling you, that is a cool, like, as a person who watches bands and enjoys watching bands play, when I see a guitar player hitting those foot pedals, I go, what the fuck is going on up there right now? Mm, what it does what do all those pedals noise. do? John, is there any way to demo what those pedals do for us as uh, fans so we can see what it is, is you're up to? This is definitely a scaled down uh, version of it. All right, so let's say you're playing something. A wah wah pedal, without it, it's. And with it, it's. So that's that's nice. Fuzz tone is. Uh, a less distorted uh, distortion pedal. And, and a more distorted distortion pedal. That's kind of like a, a Jimi Hendrix distortion pedal, right? Like, that kind of gives you that vibe. I think Jimi Hendrix, it's kind of more if you have all three of them together. <laughs> oh, shit. That's why I love when you guys did Fire at Woodstock. I really did. I, I thought that that was a great cover. I really I really loved it. Um, and, Chad, take me through your drum kit. This seems like a very, very involved drum kit. Am I correct? I mean, this, there's a lot going on here. Oh, not really. Uh, hold on. Do I need this? I got I got it. Uh, usually, I don't talk. Don't talk behind the drums just play um right. no you know how it, it, it's it, for me it's uh i've been kind of using the same setup for a long time but i've started just add little noises over here and um no the, it's basically i do my whole thing pretty much with the hi-hat snare drum and the kick drum those three what things yeah that, that, that's 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 how I've been fooling them for thirty four years. So the all that other stuff, stuff it's for show. That's a, yeah, and you know, you want to have stuff to hit, so I can't really miss, which is always good. Wherever I swing my arm, I'm going to hit something. But um, you know, drummers just like to have things around and noises, and 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 so I've just kind of added different timbers and so these are higher pitched and these are lower pitched and it's just uh to have more options musical options but it's always about the choice what musical choice you make and uh that's 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 the trick that's the key so for me i try to keep it simple not always when it's appropriate you know you play like i think this next song i get to play a lot of notes which is a lot of fun but then yeah. give it away it's just a straight funk beat hard and powerful and dynamic and you know just try to play for the song what was the song where you went out? The song? Well, what was the song that you what was the song where you ran out and got pots and pans for the end of the song where you felt like it would have like added something to the song? You were just literally hitting Oh pots no, and pans. well the, the three of us, I think in Blood Sugar is a song breaking the girl that has four of us. The four of us. I think was it four? The four of us 
30 years ago, man. And yeah. we actually had a guy that was, that was helping us and, and say, go out to the junkyard or go out to the car parts place and bring us back brake drums and just different things, mostly metallic stuff. We were looking for to make a metallic racket. And uh, yeah. Yeah, everyone, cool. everyone picked a thing and we went for it. Yeah, it was great. Flea, I noticed while you're wa waiting to do the next song, you keep moving your fingers. You're constantly, um, what are you doing there? Are you doing some sort of exercise with your fingers? Yeah, physical exercises just to keep my fingers warm. It's, right. uh, I, I, I need to do that. That's like just the physical aspect of playing the bass. I'm always playing scales just to try to keep my fingers strong and ready. Yeah, I mean, is that you got to really stay in shape for these tours and for these albums? I mean, you, as a musician, it's not like you get to hang out and you got to keep your body in shape. You got to keep your fingers moving, right? The older you get, absolutely, and the younger you get too. I'm yeah. the younger. Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah. once when I was a little kid, I was sitting at a bus stop, and I was like 12 years old, stoned out of my mind, and this old man came up to me and he said, he said, uh. Take care of yourself, because remember, when you get really old, you're gonna you're gonna need it. You're gonna think about this when you get old. Make sure you always take care of yourself now, because you pay later. And I do think about it. That that old dude was right. <laughs> I'm shocked that you had the kind of life where you could get high at 11 years old. Uh, isn't that when you started? Uh, it's true. Yep. Yeah, unbelievable. I was like, a, my parents kept too close an eye on me. I couldn't get high. I couldn't do anything. Fun. Yeah. How did you get stuff? We didn't have any money. <laughs> yeah. It was just around. I was uh, a kid. It was around. And my parents didn't keep a close eye. Right. Mm. Well, let's talk about the new album, uh, particularly the song you're going to do now. These are the ways. Are we excited about doing this, guys? Have you ever performed this anywhere else? These are the ways. Or is it the first time you're playing it? We we played it the other night at the Henry Fonda Theater for a live audience. Talking about theaters, it, it, I like the songs on this record because to me they make sense in a club, a laundromat, a stadium, on the moon, just about anywhere. That's no, true. For this album, we weren't playing anywhere before we wrote it, so yeah, so I think a lot of the songs have a multi-purpose. So. Here, ever after works in a club. Yeah. Yeah. How how often have you had to rehearse this? In other words, you, you, if you're going to do it on uh, radio like you are now, in other words, you got to get familiar with it again. I mean, you guys got to really go into rehearsal, or is this something you just feel confident that you can pull off? We're under-rehearsed. Slightly. Under-rehearsed. Is that A good? A little bit. Uh, no. No, <laughs> but it's okay. I right. Mean, are you nervous I, performing this song because you are under-rehearsed? I would be nervous either way. You would still? Under I hope so. You still get nervous before a show when you're going I, out? I try to. I try to, yes. Right. It, it makes me feel good. The juices are flowing. I care. You know, you know how to do this song? Yeah, are you bit, ready to play bit. it? It's enough. I know you, how you got, it goes, and I feel very ready. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy about Flea, early on in your career, you played the bass line on Young MC's Bust a Move, which was a huge hit. And I, I remember reading that you got no money for that. Like you got 200 bucks or something. Isn't that crazy? $200 and a bag of weed. That's it? That's it. And you're on Alanis Morissette's You Ought to Know, right? I am. Jeez, what the hell was that like? Did you have any idea when you played bass on that 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 was going to be a big hit album? No, no idea at all. I just, you know, usually if someone 
I know asked me to come play, I come play. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, Anthony, what's this song about? These are the ways. I mean, um, can you give us any background? Can you talk about recording it? What can you tell us about this song so we so we know something? Um, I can tell you that that John had come into uh, a rehearsal early in the writing process when we were just kind of getting to know each other again in a songwriting kind of a way, and he had he had this beautiful arrangement that was different and. It almost felt like a a classical orchestra because it just kept crescendoing as the song went further. And really, all I had to do is fill in some lyrical blanks because John had suggested uh, a lyrical melody. Yeah, and, and, and sort of an approach. And and all I do is listen. I listen. My job is to listen to what they're playing and then go drive around in my car and listen some more and wait until some words start falling out of the sky and into their place and then write them down and kind of refine it a little bit. But it felt like planet Earth and the United States of America in general were going through a bit of an upheaval, uh, a redefinition of sorts and, and a, a moment to take a look at ourselves and see who the hell we had become and was that okay. So without being heavy-handed or... Uh, Taking either side, I was just like, let's have a look at ourselves right here. This, this is who we've become, and um, it's it's kind of it's also got a little bit of who in it. The who I feel like we we channeled the, the who we channeled the who a little bit. Surprise! It it became more whoish, but the initial inspiration for it for me was the the Sparks album Propaganda. Okay, yeah, that's where the, that's that makes where sense the idea came, and I wrote like. 20 times more parts than I came to you guys with. Uh-huh. There's a tape somewhere of me like playing a zillion <laughs> parts that all mixed up together and I picked what what were my favorite, you know, five mm. points or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So John elimination. With- John, with this song, you walk in and you you haven't worked with the boys in a while and you you play them uh this kind of idea that you have. And now that you have a finished song on an album, is it exactly kind of what you expected it to sound like, or did it does it sound completely different than the initial vision in your head? Oh yeah, no. the The beauty of being in a band like this is you bring in a uh, an idea, and you're you're aware that it's only a germ of an idea. Uh, you have no idea where it's going to go, and you have no idea what the other members are going to add to it. Like. Even in the case of where where I where as Anthony said I had a melody, but what that melody sounds like coming out of his mouth is I I couldn't have imagined it, you know, like uh, and 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 the ways that he changes it, and I was always very careful with melodies to just say bop 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 bop, no no hint of a syllable, so to hear it when when he actually comes in with words and every word is perfectly appropriate for each note in a way that I could have never done or imagined. And same thing with the drums. Like, I didn't know the drums were going to be like that, you know? Like, like this right. song has amazing drums. Like, like when I came in, had no idea that that's how the drums were going to turn out, you know? So, yeah, you, you never know what the overall... Uh, what the overall uh, building is going to be. You just... You don't even have a... You don't even have a plan like an architect. You just have, like, a... I don't know, just a, just a, a, a fra- it feels like just a fragment of an idea. Even if it's a whole song from beginning to end, it, 
it just it's just a guitar part, you know. So you're shocked when, when, Anthony, it, when Anthony walks in with that vocal or those words. You're shocked by it. You're like, oh shit, this is this is great. I had no idea. Yeah, it's always a very exciting moment because the band usually has things pretty pretty well in place before he comes in with the full lyrics and everything. Lyrics being one of the hardest, I think, the hardest thing to to do in a in a for a piece of music. And when he comes in and does it, all of a sudden it feels like wow, it's a it's a record now, you know. Before that, it's it still feels like it's an idea, no matter how elaborate our parts are. Anthony, do you ever feel self conscious writing the lyrics? Like, do you ever sit there and go, "Are these guys going to laugh at me, or are they going to go, oh shit, this is like the greatest thought ever?" I don't have time to feel self conscious. That would that would really slow me down, um, especially when there's so much music going on to be written to. If I overthought it or got, you know, freaked out by it, I would just fall behind the work. Right. So write it and then move on to the next and kind of trust my instincts. And, and also the music is so suggestive and, and, and magnetic for words to begin with that, um, that I have that to rely on. I don't feel like it's just me. You know, the music says something. It suggests something. It, it, it lures something. Um, but really, I don't have time. I don't have time to overthink it, especially on this one where we had 50 songs to write to. I was like, better move on with the next. And you, when you're driving in your car and now you've got this idea, the country's fucked up where 50% of the country thinks this way and 50% of the country thinks that way. Maybe we're, in the, we're, we're going over the cliff. Who knows where we're going? What do you physically do? You go, oh, shit, this is great. Do you stop the car and, and, and start writing something down? Or do you say, I can remember these? What do you do? What do you physically do? For one thing, you'll never remember. You have you have to either almost crash your car and get voice notes on your phone, right? Or or pull over. But but I I don't trust myself to remember. That's the same thing with waking up in the middle of the night with song ideas, lyrics, melodies, whatever. If you don't write it down, it's gone. Like you might think, oh, I'll never for, I'll never forget this idea, and then tomorrow you're like, I forgot the idea. So, you gotta get you to gotta. You got to get this app I have. It's called Brain Toss. Whenever I have a good idea for the radio show, you hit it and it emails it to you immediately. It is so great. You need this. Brain Toss. I, I need it, but I'm I'm app phobic in general. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Got it. it you got to write a password down. or any kind of uh I have I have some would, good pads of paper. Would you ever publish your journals? stuff where you scribble down i i mean I, i've seen people do they did that with kurt cobain uh his journal i bet you've got mm. some interesting shit in there no mm. i'd rather write some new shit all right than i got it then publish some old shit you know maybe maybe when i'm dead so I'll the new it. album is out it is uh red hot chili peppers new album unlimited love which is what these boys have for you the audience and uh this is a. Uh, a song called These Are The Ways. Brand new song. The boys are a little under-rehearsed. <laughs> Make me a fist Purple Mountain Road that I can't miss Have we all had enough? Have we all had too much? Lost in a dream Please step down from your bully machine Can 
we all back it up? Can we all give it up? Lord, that is some drum part. Holy yes, shit. Yes, it is. Wow. You all right? Uh, yeah, fuck, Chad, you okay? What happened? That's a good, good stage, but how it's a good sign. Hey, Townsend! Uh, Did you hurt bleeding? yourself? Did you bleed during that song? Whoa. That's oh, all good. It's all good? Oh, my God. Hey, Townsend. That is, that is some... <laughs> who needs rehearsal? Fuck rehearsal. We don't need it. 
You guys sounded great on that. Um, what are you referring to there? Bruce and George singing for their own reward. Bruce and George singing for their own reward. Uh, Who are Bruce and George? Yeah, it's, it's not an obvious lyric, but George Clinton had a song called America Eats His Young. Okay. And Bruce Springsteen sang about born in the USA, but not how people picture it. So right. I'm just referring to, to dudes that sing for the sake of singing and the love of music. Um, just the experience of having that voice. Yeah, yeah. What a good song. <clears throat> Chad, that well, drum part. It was fun to watch you guys do it, too. Wow. Yeah, what it, was that? Yeah, it's fun watching you guys do it. And, and, and Flea, you're in, you guys are all in such good shape. Jesus Christ. I got to get in the fucking gym. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, Anthony is just jumping up and down. I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> I know. Chad, did he's you got actually? Sing heard, too. Chad, did you actually? I know, I know he's got. He, you, you can jump and sing at the same time. I mean, I, I see these kids today. They can't do it. They can't do it, Anthony. You, 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 should, you should start a school for people who want to be in rock and roll. You're if I see one more, if I see one more punk not moving around during a song, I'm going to be really pissed. What's going on with Chad? Did he actually hurt his hand during that uh, song? I mean, he was fucking wailing. I mean, uh, in the in the fashion of John Bonham, he was hitting uh, it very hard. No, 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 no. It's okay. He's fine. It's, okay. it's fine. It's merely a flesh wound. <laughs> I really think he hurt himself. No, no. Don't baby him. Don't baby yeah, him. Don't Come on. <laughs> I'm worried about him. I don't know. Call me crazy. Not your crazy. Please, that's a hell of a bass line, too. Look at you with that guitar, man. Let me hear you. The, 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 Play something just on the guitar. Do the bass just by itself. Just something. Something. Anything that comes to mind. Wow. It's almost like you're drumming. In a, in a sense, you you have a weird ability to hit that thing like you're hitting a drum. Am I correct? Mm. Um, you know, for me, music is where John was talking earlier about playing music when he was young. And I, I, for me, like the first thing that I was always attracted to in music, and it's probably like this for most kids, and I might have just never evolved past it, but his rhythm. I've always like related to rhythm. Even when I would listen to jazz, which I loved when I was a kid, I always just hear hear rhythm. I love rhythm. Yeah. I, get, I love the feeling that does good things to my heart. See, let's be real. Are you the best, best, the best bass player in the world right now? Be honest. No. No. I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's I my favorite. I didn't realize he's you were voting. Favorite, All right, so who's the no best? Better, who's the best there's then? no best. There, there's no best. Uh, he is the please. best for singing along with because when he plays his instrument, it makes me want to sing. But there will never be a best, thank God. Jesus, but, but, I don't uh, know. I, I definitely am a, a huge fan of a guy named Mono Neon and another guy named Thundercat. Those are two guys that are I'm in complete awe of what they do. Yeah, well, I never heard of those guys. I'm in awe of you. <laughs> That's what I'm in awe of. I, I got to be in awe of somebody I've seen. Boys, this is a celebration today. I don't know if you realize it, but first of all, my audience was very excited that you guys were going to be here. Uh, secondly, I applaud everything you do. Uh, even your videos have been so innovative over the years. Um, you know, and 
geez, this band to to stay together and to to play at this level and to go out there and now putting out new music and uh, the energy and the whole look of the thing it's uh, great i also now have an opportunity to thank uh, thank flea and chad for playing on the private part soundtrack to my movie 25 years ago did you guys mm. realize that you guys did that or had you forgotten about that great moment in your career <laughs> i thought about it this morning when i was making my coffee there you go and chad i can see you're totally excited and, and and I've always admired how silly you guys are in your video. And by that, I mean you never took them that seriously. Um, my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers video was Danny California when you dress up like all the different bands. I thought that was incredibly innovative. Whose concept was that, Anthony? I would give credit to the Marx Brothers hmm. for that particular video. I don't know. Do you remember who came up with that idea? Tony K. Was that Tony's idea? <clears throat> You you dress like about seven different bands. At one point, you look like the Beatles uh, early mm. on from the Ed Sullivan era. Then you switched <laughs> it to the Beach Boys, or from what I'm remembering of it, I just remember it was a very innovative idea. Was MTV so important? Well, I guess MTV was very important because Higher Ground broke on MTV, right? Yeah, we. I mean, we liked the idea of music television back in the day. It was kind of inspiring. The thought of uh, doing little vignettes and whatnot. Um, and we just did it recently. We did a, a video for These Are the Ways. Right. Malia James kind of knocked it out of the park. And <clears throat> yeah. yeah, that Danny California video, we kind of, we kind of, we were, in, in most cases, we were doing sort of conglomerations of phases. So like it goes from like a 50s, 50s rock and roll band to an early 60s kind of English band to a, to a, a late '60s psychedelic band, to a to a to an early '70s funk band, to an early '70s glam band, to a punk band, to Nirvana. Yeah, we did Nirvana. <laughs> quite quite simply, Nirvana. To ourselves, yeah. Yeah, and the hair metal. I saw it recently, so I I remember. Me too. About the hair the hair metal. I think you did metal. poison. Did the hair metal. I, it looked like you were you were doing a sort of a tribute to poison. Am I correct about that? Yeah, that's yeah. the one I forgot. I, yeah. I remember when we did it, yes. I, I said to John and Chad, I was like, I don't know how to do hair metal. What do they do? Like, I don't know how to act hair metal. And John and John said, you got to look surprised. Like, <laughs> like you're always surprised by something. You look surprised. Point, point at the camera and say, you. Uh, I will say once we got the spandex and the hair and the makeup, I was like, oh, these boys were having some fun. This actually feels pretty good. Right, you guys, you kind of saw it. Yeah, I, I always think like about MTV at the time that it was happening and it blew up. I thought this is so corny and it's like ruining people's imagination. You know, you take this idea you have as a song and you pigeonhole it down to a video, and most of them are terrible. And you know, but now I look back at it, you know, and of course I thought anything successful in mainstream is terrible, just by my arrogant nature of thinking I was the underground hero, but. I look back on it, man, I miss it. So cool, right. all these colorful expressions of, of video. Like, you don't have that, anything like that on television anymore that I know of. I, you have 10 billion channels and none of it. I loved it. I do miss it. And and, and, and a lot of the concepts that you guys had, the idea of, of, like, sort of, you know, not wearing a lot of clothes, taking your shirts off, that was to say, like, all these bands are into image and they dress a certain way. So we're like, fuck it. 
we're not even going to put a shirt on. Is it, 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 there was a sort of a, a, a thought behind that, right? Or were you just showing off your musculature? Mm, <laughs> no, you. I think you are correct. It wasn't terribly well thought out, but it was a feeling <clears throat> of uh, rebelling against what we saw. And what we saw right. was overdressing, so we decided to underdress and maybe just not dress at all. But yes, the expression was just to be free and minimalist. Yeah, well, if I was built like you guys, I'd be free too, but I've got breasts and a belly, so I'm not going <laughs> to uh, be taking off my shirt anytime soon. Boys, it's a great idea to end this celebration with one of, I think, your greatest songs. Uh, so many great ones to choose from, but uh, give it away is a real crowd pleaser, right? Is that something you close the show with, or there is no closer? Uh, to Last me, give it away. Last song of the night. Final it is always? Night. Always. Pretty much. Pretty much. More often Why, Anthony? Not. Why is give it away the final song of the night? It's, it's, an, it's just a, a nice sentiment to leave them with and also to leave ourselves with, and it's hard right. to follow give it away with, with another song. Is it your favorite song to perform? That changes every day, um, but it does not get old. It's a, it's a song that has been fun to play 10,000 times without getting too boring. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine how many times you've played this, and yet it still feels fresh to you. It's, it's such a That's great right. song. Uh, any remembrances of Give It Away? I mean, <clears throat> is there anything? The only thing I've ever read about Give It Away is that somebody took a shirt or something and gave it to you, and you were like, that's so cool. They gave it away. Like it was that simple of a thought, or am I wrong? Yeah, I mean lyrically, I would say that uh, Nina Hagen had something. She impregnated me with this thought of give your stuff away, you'll feel better. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, mm. take my leather jacket. I was like, you feel better? She's like, I do. So that idea stuck with me. But really, my my memory is of Flea playing that bass line, and just knowing the minute I heard it, I was like, oh, that's going to be nice to sing to. Right. Right. At the alleyway. It got you and, excited. Uh, and now when I think about it, I hear those guitar notes coming in, which just still ring true in my heart. And when you um, recorded this song, you kind of just freestyled, right? You just give it away, give it away, give it away. You just got into that rhythm, right? It just uh, it, it emerged that way. Duh, that was in rehearsal. Like, I definitely yeah. freestyled in rehearsal, and then we just kept it. We're like, oh, that right. works. But I did sit there on the couch next to the microphone, furiously writing lyrics to the last second before recording because there was verse to fill. Flea, what about that bass line? How'd you come up with that? It just was it something you struggled with, or it just came to you in a sec? I usually, for me, uh, many of my most long-lasting musical ideas anyways i can't say best or worst but come from we're j jamming with the band with these th three guys and in the spur of the moment i just play something because i want to honor them and i want them to be happy and then you say to yourself in the jam oh shit i got to remember that i hit into something and i got to bring that to the band yeah, well, at home, if I'm by myself when I'm playing, I do that. I have to remember it. But if we're playing with the guys and it becomes a communal thing and we all pitch in, then it's kind of like four brains to remember it. And, uh, yeah, they have good memories, much better than mine. Did you guys watch that Beatles? Did you watch the Beatles special where they, they're in the studio? Uh, I just, uh, I was blown out by that. Did you guys happen to watch that? Were you curious about their songwriting process? You watch it? I, I have not. I've only watched like the first forty minutes of it. 
Uh, and why? Because you got it, bored? No, no. It, um, if anything, I felt like it should have been longer form, like it was jumping very quickly from one moment to another. And I know how it is when you're writing songs. I, I things go slowly oftentimes, and and uh, but no, it wasn't really because of a criticism or anything. It's just because my life is these band interactions right now every day, and it, when I relax, I want to watch something completely different, right. not watch another band going through the same. Same, <laughs> same. I started watching it, and I was like, God, they're so beautiful. Look at them. But it's like what we do every day, or what we right. have been doing every day. And I was like, I can't watch someone else do that. Like. Yeah. No matter it's too painful, right, Flea? Time, yeah. It's too painful. Too painful? Not painful, just like like John. Like I wanted to go watch a Kurosawa movie, you know, of a samurai battle. Right, I hear you. All right, here it is, boys. Give it away.
feeling don't stop, continue. First of all, Flea, you got to go on Dancing with the Stars. You would win the fucking golden uh, ball. I'm telling you, how the hell the you play trophy. the the mirror trophy? How the hell you play, uh, John? Your guitar work is amazing. The drums, chat, a uh, Flea is jumping around and playing. It's fucking so dynamic. Do you when you guys think about your live performance? The stage moves, right? Do you ever? Do, it's part. It's really part of the show. And Anthony, I would imagine when you're singing and you see Flea moving like that, it inspires you. It, it gets you moving, right? It, it, you are not incredible. lying. You are not lying. I, I saw a reflection to my left and I thought somebody in the lobby is getting down. <laughs> then I realized it was Flea. It was Flea. I was watching Flea in the reflection. I was like, all right. Flea. Yes, it's inspiring. Flea, when you see bands... Where the where the musicians are standing there like lummoxes, do you say to yourself, "These guys can't possibly be into their own music"? You get moved by that. You get moved by your own music. It is it's tremendous. For me, what other people do, you know, I see a lot of my favorite musicians in the world just stand there. So I don't really think about it like that. Just for the me, like for me, like the way I was talking about rhythm before being the thing that I've always related to. It's the same thing with the way my body moves. Like when we're in the studio, if I want to lean back behind the beat for the subtleties of the way playing with, with these guys, I lay way back. I feel my body leaning back. When I want to move forward, I move forward. Like the way that my body moves dictates the way that I play and improvise in the moment because it's always a lot of improvisation. So for me, it's just a physical experience, just what it is. Well, I'll tell you, as a fan, uh, I have never seen a more entertaining band in terms of their physical moves, whether John is hitting his pedals and playing that motherfucking guitar like crazy. And Chad, real Chad, you know, Chad's, Chad fucking hits those drums hard. 
Lee, you're just he's fucking amazing. He's working out back there. Yeah, he's, he's really working, working and, hard. And Anthony, that is a great vocal, man. I mean, I just love the way you fucking hit that. So uh, thank you. Um, thank you. And let's thank Pat Smear of the Germs who inspired uh, John to play. Because if, if there was no Pat Smear, maybe John never would have picked up a guitar. Let's say that right now. Let's, let's thank Pat. Let's thank the Germs. Yeah. Let's thank yeah. the Germs. Because, John, you wouldn't have picked up that guitar without that guy, right? It's quite possible that he was he was the main main reason this specifically their first it was I think it's their second performance at the Whiskey A Go Go that Rodney Bingenheimer used to play on his show and yeah those were the first songs I learned and everything including all the noises that they were making in between the songs because they weren't turning their volumes down on their guitars like I wanted to make those sounds you know that feed feedback was what was going on in between the songs and and uh, and yeah, and everything about the way he played, especially on that Germs GI record, was just like magic to me. Like I didn't know how where those sounds came from, and I wanted to make those sounds. Chad, John, Anthony, Flea, I can't thank you boys enough for coming in here early in the morning and playing the way you do. You play your asses off. Is there anything? Of course, we celebrate the new album, Unlimited Love. We celebrate your tour. Uh, we listen to your music um, on, uh, oh, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of channels on Sirius XM, uh, 315, listen to their whole lot of Red Hot Channel, which the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers have. But boys, is there anything you want to say, anything we didn't cover, anything you want to say to the fans that perhaps we didn't today? I, I, I certainly want to give you that opportunity. You want to thank the Academy, uh, whatever. Is there a message? Do you a want message? to give... I know. Maybe we want to say something about Will Smith because Chris Rock inducted you guys into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and maybe we didn't like him smacking Chris I, Rock, I right? Too much has already been too much has already been said about that. Not I, from I, Flea. I, I, I haven't heard him comment yet on that. <laughs> uh, Flea, you want to comment on that? I didn't think so. Yeah. I just love Flea. Chris. I love Chris. I love him too. We love I Chris love Rock, him. and I'll stand forward and say that he should not have been slapped. Thank yeah. you for saying that. I agree. Anthony, say that anyway. You need to say more about this. Uh, well, yeah, no, I don't. I, I don't think Chris needed to be slapped. <laughs> I, I love comedy. Right. I love comedians. I lo I love being offended, even though what you know, he's he wasn't necessarily offensive in that moment. I hope at another moment he will offend me, because I think right. that's healthy to be offended and to be thoughtful. And you know, comedy has a, a right to exist without. Uh, you know too much violence but really the message is you know we're just happy to be back in this world in this band in this life and as as difficult as it can be it's very important to acknowledge all of the great stuff all of the simple beauty of life you know waking up in the morning and having a a sky over your head and a bomb not falling on your head it's like there's so much little stuff just to acknowledge and be grateful for and being in this band and being with these boys is a big part of that so remember well, to point a, out the uh, the good stuff that is that's a great message and i will do that uh let's slap our base but not the face that's what i think you're saying right now which is a song i'm writing uh chad thank you for giving it all today and uh hurting your hand even uh for us but 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 let's point out chad you can't complain flea never hurt his dick when he was playing naked and That's slapping true. that thing against his base. Uh, so so he never complained. I'm a, Flea, have you ever had a penis injury from playing the base naked? 
No, but we're zipping it up when I was a little kid. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the most important. to make that mistake too many times. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the boys, again, I took up way too much of your time. We celebrate Red Hot Chili Peppers. We celebrate Unlimited Love, the new album. You got to hear it. It's great. Uh, there's a reason all the critics love it, too, because it's really just a great sound. And this is a great band. And thank you for spending so much time with us, guys. You're, it was uh, an you're incredible. Honor. You honored us today with such a great interview thank and performance. You thank you thank so you much. So much. good to see you. And and John, welcome back, pal. I mean, I'm glad you're in thank the you band. They need these guys need you. They won't tell you, but I'll tell you. They need you. They love you. All right. You take <laughs> he it. He knows. Me. He knows. Yeah. No, right. he tells us all the time. <laughs> yeah. All we're, right, boys. We're, thank we're, you. We're grateful oh, for the what? opportunity. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Lee. And uh, our pleasure. Bye bye. Well, that was exciting. Ooh, red, red hot chili peppers. That was. I'm exhausted because that was mm -hmm. so energetic. I felt like I was doing that all with them. Well, we'll definitely put up on the app a ASAP uh, the performance so you guys can see it. If yeah. you have the app, you should have the app because the, those guys were really just going at it. It was really awesome to see. Thank you, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Tomorrow, Amy Schumer will be with us. Robin, thank you and. Uh, and we'll Thank be back you. tomorrow. And we have a lot to get to tomorrow, Robin. So please rest up, get a lot of sleep. Okay. All right. All, All right. right. That's that's the assignment. All right. We'll be uh we'll be seeing you tomorrow. Bye.